You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 511. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from the Euro Backup Relief APG Blightly location across the pond in Hampshire, England. Today's show is recorded on the 25th of February, 2022. In today's episode, a freighter catches fire and burns up while taxing in Africa. A fly Dubai 737 takes off with less runway than expected. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 511 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and covering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And I'm joined by, in his conservatory studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. <laughs> I, I managed to get a, a, a bit in there, the high burrito. Uh, welcome, welcome to Blighty. Uh, and thank you indeed, Ray J. Roger, for a fabulous intro. Yes, and also joining us. Right to the right of me here in the conservatory studio is a retired financier, aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, Ms. Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. And no, I'm not in Ontario. I'm oh. here in Hampshire. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm confused. But j- just so you know, we know Roger said the 25th, but we changed the, uh, he'd already recorded and we changed the time of the recording to today. So Shh, don't tell anybody. They'll no, but never they're, know. they're picking up on oh, it. Oh, really? Yes, they're so paying that close attention yep. in our live yes, audience? Yeah. <laughs> you mean oh they listened to it? It was a test. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, it is. Uh, it was the wrong day, but who cares? All right. So no. with, uh, let's go ahead and just move on to uh, yeah. some aviation news. What do you think, guys? I like uh, it. Yeah. All right. Why not? Stand by for news. All right, the first item, FAA to issue 787 airworthiness certificates taking authority away from Boeing. Uh, The FAA, we just said that. Um, A move coming as the agency oversees Boeing's efforts to address manufacturing quality issues. The FAA had previously taken over certifying airworthiness of Boeing's 737 MAX. The FAA today informed Boeing that the agency will retain the authority to issue airworthiness certificates for all Boeing 787 Dreamliner aircraft, the FAA said on 15th of February. 
This will allow the agency to confirm the effectiveness of measures Boeing had undertaken to improve the 787 manu- manufacturing process. I kind of feel like I've said the same thing about three yeah, separate yeah. times Shot now. Boeing and that, FAA. And... Okay. Are all the other paragraphs saying the same yeah, exact a lot thing? Of the, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. So basically, they've yanked it back into the FAA for those certificates. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why. Because... Mm. Boeing can't be trusted to do it on their own? I guess that's the implication. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, in the old days, I think it would have been a major slap in the face uh, mm-hmm. for Boeing because uh, they quite rightly were incredibly proud of their uh, safety record and their ability to monitor uh, what they're producing. But they've rather fallen down on that job. Um, but uh, they've had so many hits lately. Uh, this is just one to add to them, and I'm, I'm really not sure how much it will affect them or other people's uh, perception of them. They, they are what they are. Yeah. And we're not really going to talk about it uh, except to just briefly mention that there is a documentary uh, out regarding mm-hmm. Boeing downfall and the downfall of Boeing, etc. And this, of course, is all part of that. Um, but, um, yeah, so... The FAA is finally saying, okay, we're going to do the certification process now until things get more in order. Anything else, really? That's about it. Just reasserting their authority. No, I just think it's sad. You know, just another in a list of um, problems that Boeing are dealing with. And uh, I, I look forward to the day when they regain the fantastic reputation that they've had in the past. Yeah, I think we all do. Okay, well, the next item, uh, I'm going to play a little bit of video. Mm-hmm. And uh, this happened in, let's see, it's a. Um, Is it supposed to do that? Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, okay. We're looking at a video ah. of. An, oh, excuse me. Oh, exactly. Bye. I have no idea what they're saying. Bye. Uh, this was in um, part of Africa. Bye. Let's see. Congo, yeah, the Democratic Republic of Congo. From Kavamu to Lulingo, it was a, an Agrafreco, um, South Africa, LET-410 freighter. Uh, registration, 9 Sierra Golf Foxtrot Alpha, performing a flight from Kavumu to Lulingo in the DR of Congo, DR Congo. Two crew, taxiing out for departure. Aircraft caught on fire and burned down. The crew was able to evacuate in time. If it's an airplane, shouldn't it burn up? Oh, that's right. And looking at the photo here, it does look like it is burning up, but at some point it probably burned down as well. Yeah, eventually. Burned up and then burned down. Yeah. The crew was able to evacuate. The airline apologized to all their customers that uh, (laughs) probably won't get their packages. Mm. Um, Local authorities reported uh, that the L-410 caught fire. The captain, first off, okay, again, same exact thing I said before. Uh, well, I, not exactly. It was a little bit reworded. different. Reworded. Yeah, reworded. Uh, so that's, and that's all we have other than this video of the thing burning up or Just down. Kind of dramatic video and picture, and so that's about yeah. it. But that's all the information but nobody that was we have. hurt, so that's good. That's good. A lot of freight, I think, was burned up. But. Yeah. And again, that's uh, from the uh, Aviation Herald. Yeah. And we'll have a link to this in the show. And hopefully, at some point, they'll have a little bit more information right. regarding what Laura happened. was just asking, why was that guy not using the hose on the plane? But maybe oh. he just gave up. Maybe he probably then. decided that the foam was more expensive than the airplane was worth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True. Is that sitting on a runway? It looks like it's right in the middle of the grass there. Yeah, I don't oh. think it's on a runway. 
Well, anyway. No, it might be a cross field, I don't know. Could be. Yep, it could be. Hmm. It doesn't really give us much information here. Does not. No. But, but still, it's it's a fairly dramatic, uh, particularly since a lot of the fire seems to be centered around the flight deck. So, oh, yeah. Glad yeah. the boys got out. Yeah. Or it might have been a, a lady, of course. Uh, yeah. Wonder what uh, uh, caused it to catch on fire. Well, my suspicion is always something in the cargo that mm-hmm. uh, wasn't packed properly, um, you know, and ignited starting it off. Uh, you know, I always a lot of respect for cargo guys because they do carry some pretty dodgy stuff, and you can't always trust the people that are putting the packages. You feeling okay? You've oh. been complimenting Boeing and complimenting <laughs> cargo. <laughs> oh, I thought you were really concerned about his health. No, uh, not really. Just his uh, mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm okay. Good. I'm just yeah. feeling in a good mood. That's, That's good. good. We are too. Yeah, we're we're all happy to be together. Yeah. In person, we've and, had a good uh, few days. Ha- having yeah. just met up with some um, other in uh, what um, enthusiasts, av geeks, av geeks uh, over at the. And we'll talk about it, of course, getting to know us. But uh, the the PTUK 400 celebration, which was yesterday, and we got to see a lot of people, and we're just mm. giddy. Yeah. It was pretty nice. That we're finally away from that place. Well, Liz was giddy. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, know if I was giddy. Heard me. Um, okay. Uh, let's move on to this next item. Um, it was an incident. A Fly Dubai 737 has less runway than planned. And this is from Mentor Pilot. Uh, in a recurring incident, a Fly Dubai 737 crew, and I think what he means by that is uh, th- this seems to be happening yeah. quite quite often. Yeah, we're having a spate of these. Right. They lined up for departure using the wrong taxiway, further along the runway, almost overrunning it. Uh, it occurred on the 18th of February, uh, Fly Dubai Flight uh, 1746. This is daily service, departing from Belgrade Nikola, Tes- Nikola Tesla mm-hmm. Airport mm-hmm. in Serbia. And he's not the bloke that made the cars. No. 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 He's the other bloke. The other bloke. Well, I think it was named for him. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, yeah, the actual uh, Nicholas Tesla, it was it Nicholas? Nicola. 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 I think that he passed away a few years back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might. Yeah, he's long gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, its destination was the airline's base in, at Dubai International Airport in United Arab Emirates. On the day of the incident, the flight of the Fly Dubai 737 was running about a half an hour late. The crew planned to use runway 30. They would taxi onto the runway from taxiway Echo, which would essentially place them at the runway's threshold. From there, the crew would have 3,000 meters, 9,840 feet of available runway. Plenty of runway, actually. If they wished, they could have backtracked on the runway's displaced threshold to gain another 300 meters. However... Uh, They did not enter the runway at Taxiway Echo as they intended. Instead, they taxied along the parallel Taxiway Alpha only up to Taxiway Delta. From there, the flight only had 2,085 meters, which is 6,840 feet of available runway. Under the right circumstances, a Boeing 737-8, or that would be a 737, is this a Dash 8 or an 800? I think it's an 800, isn't it? Yeah, because the Dash 8, I think, is the designation for the MAX. That does not look like a yeah. max to me. No. Okay. Uh, so the 737-800 could take off from this much runway, but its crew would have to do so deliberately and prepare for it accordingly. In so other words, you'd the have to... The overlay up so you can talk about okay, it. Okay. Thank you. 
Um, so there's the overlay that we're showing on the video. If you're listening to the audio, it'll it'll be in the show notes or in the chapters image. If you're using a podcast uh, playing app that shows images and chapter images, and this is the Belgrade Airport, the rightmost. Oh, is it? Oh, it was a Max. I think it is a Max. It's, okay. Uh, it, I found the picture of it. It's got a crinkly um, jet so, pipe. So it actually is a 737-8. My apologies. Another Max problem, but this is a pilot problem. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Anyway, in the in the uh, diagram here, the rightmost yellow arrow shows where the crew calculated their takeoff performance. The leftmost arrow shows where they took off from. Note also the construction works in progress. So... Um, the, yeah, so there was a considerable amount of runway they kind of thought they had for their use, but it was behind them, not in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, to avoid unnecessary wear on the aircraft's engines, pilots use less power than the max available when this is possible. So if you have 9,800 feet of runway, you can use a lower power setting, say wear and tear on the engines, and uh, be safe and sound with that kind of performance data. But if you were... If you have lopped off what almost almost a thousand meters of your yeah. runway available, then you're going to have to have a little bit higher power setting. And of course, they didn't realize that uh, they were taking off on a shortened uh, runway. Um, yeah, they began their rotation about 300 meters before the end of the runway. Okay, that's less than a thousand feet. The aircraft was only feet above the runway uh, as the runway ended. ADSB GPS data suggests the aircraft was less than 10 feet above the ground uh, at the end of the runway. The I don't think people realize just how high an aircraft has to be at fence height at the end of the runway. Mm-hmm. So on a dry runway, you only actually require to be at 35 feet, which is, you know, not that far different no, from 10 feet. feet. On a wet runway, it's only 15 feet. I think, I think so. Uh, um, actually, I'm saying 35. Is it 30 feet and 15 feet? Mm, anyway, I, I'm, I'm retired, so I don't need to worry about the yeah. exact numbers anymore. But the fact is that, uh, yeah, your fence height at the end of the runway is calculated, and, and it's, it only has to be quite low. So 10 feet isn't that bad. But, of course, this was a completely around. random <laughs> takeoff. They, there's no way they were using the power setting they did. They could have guaranteed any height off the runway, end of the runway. They might well have run off into the uh, overshoot um, because they were taking off from the wrong point, the wrong starting point. Yep. Let's see. Uh, a couple of minutes later, they queried air traffic control about whether they had departed from Taxi We Echo. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have asked. <laughs> no, it's right. Maybe they didn't notice. <laughs> Or taxiway D, Delta, 915 meters further on. The tower responded that they had lined up and departed from taxiway Delta. Flight tracking websites confirm this. After their takeoff, the Fly Dubai crew flew their 737 to their destination without further incident. At this time, we don't know if the the authorities are investigating it, but this is not the first time that such an event has taken place. A few months ago, we saw a KLM City Hopper E-190 crew make an eerily similar error at Berlin-Brandenburg Airport. Echo, Echo Delta, Delta Bravo. Uh, the taxiways in Berlin had rather different layouts, but in Fly Dubai's incident on Friday, taxiways Delta and Echo uh, that the 737 crew confused are quite similar to each other. Also, it appears that there are substantial construction works in progress in Belgrade. Hopefully, investigators will explore if and how these factors affected the pilots in this incident. 
Yeah, not the first time that this has happened. They uh, mention also in the article a couple of other instances of uh, miscalculations. I, the one that comes to mind to me is the, uh, was it a triple seven mm-hmm. taking off from Miami that mm-hmm. uh, ended up actually hitting some of the mm-hmm. uh, lights uh, right, yeah. and antennas. Is that antennas. One that turned right instead of turning left? No, just... that's a different one. Oh, this one yes, was, uh, was taking off to the uh, east on uh, runway two or nine in Miami, and uh, they they thought they were at the proper intersection that they had calculated, but they weren't. They had they again lopped off even more than a thousand feet. I think it was about three thousand feet of runway. Um, yeah. And they ended up getting a like a 17-inch long gash or something in the uh, – it was a tail strike. Right. Well, it wasn't really a tail strike, but the tail did strike some of the antennas and lighting and that kind of thing. And I think they ended up flying all the way across the Atlantic uh, to um, the Middle East. And, you know, they probably shouldn't have. In fact, I think they even – if I'm recalling correctly, they had some data for like pressurization and they had some issues with pressurization mm-hmm. and mm. yeah it was not a good thing no definitely not that was not a sensible decision no um interestingly looking at the airport map um it's these are not easy turnings to mistake because of course one has the taxiway going straight past it uh you have to turn off the taxiway to uh, get to that entry uh, point for the runway the other is there is no more taxiway in front of you. So you've got to enter the runway at that point, unless there is work in progress at that point, which might have confused things. But, um, you know, you basically just carry down that taxiway until you can't carry around it, down it anymore. And then that was their entry point. So uh, not a lot of sympathy with the crew because they perhaps didn't want paying enough attention as to what was going on. They had a major cognitive failure by recognizing... uh, by not recognizing the correct turn-on point. And they, I think that he mentioned earlier in this article that they kind of had that hurry-up-itis, you know, like they were they're running late, yep. let's get this thing going, back on track, you know. Yeah. I don't know about you, Jeff, but whenever I felt that, once we kind of got everyone on board and we had the doors shut, you're only going to save a few seconds by trying to speed up your mm-hmm. exit. The time there is to actually go slow deliberately slow yourself down to a normal pace so that you just don't make these kind of errors exactly and i try to remember to brief that to my first officers and said look you know if we feel like we're getting rushed let's just purposely and deliberately slow it down and make sure that we're doing everything properly and have both engines started and i mean you laugh but Hmm. you know we've had several instances on the 717 fleet um uh, not yeah at acme uh, where people have initiated takeoffs with only one engine running. And uh, that's, that's not good, unless you have a really, really long runway. That's very true. <laughs> so, I don't think the aircraft's certified for single-engine takeoffs. I don't think so. No, it would be a special case, I think. <laughs> All right, let's move to the next item, which is D, an incident in Algeria. 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 Algeria, uh, 737-800 at Lyon on November 14th, 2019, rejected takeoff due to snowplow on the runway. Operational error. This is from Simon's Av Herald. And we're looking at those good-looking snowplows on our video now, or your chapter image. An Air Algeria Boeing 737-800 registration, 7 Tango Victor 
Kilo Romeo performing flight 1157 from Lyon to Anaba, Anaba, Algeria. Have no idea. Not sure. Okay. What do you think, Nick? This reminds me so much of the movie Airport. Yes. With the snowplows bearing down on the 747 and that engineer, I've forgotten the actor's name, sitting there chewing his cigar. Yes. (laughs) Joe. Yeah, Joe somebody. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, anyway, so I hope that wasn't actually the situation with all those (laughs) um, bulldozers lined up. But, Mm. uh, yeah, it's it's the sort of thing you really don't want to see on the takeoff run is a – Bulldozer lined up on the runway. <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. They had 87 passengers, six crew. Clear for takeoff. Was accelerating on runway 35 left when Tower instructed the aircraft to stop immediately after noticing a snowplow was entering the runway. The crew rejected takeoff at low speed. The aircraft slowed and stopped on the runway, then taxied to a hold short line and departed without further incident about seven minutes later. The French Bureau d'enquête et d'analyse. reported the aerodrome was operating in night conditions. Low visibility procedures were active. A ground controller cleared a snowplow onto the runway without coordinating with tower. Ooh, that's not good. Oops. Um, both controllers noticed the developing conflict. Tower instructed the flight to stop. The crew complied and brought the aircraft to a stop about 1,200 meters, uh, 4,000 feet short of the snowplow. The occurrence was rated a serious incident and is being investigated by the Bureau d'enquête et d'analyse. On September 7th, 2021, the BEA released their final report in French. And then on the 15th of February of this year, they released the final report in English, concluding the probable causes of the serious incident where the runway incursion was linked to an erroneous clearance to enter the runway as a result of a coordination failure between the ground and tower controllers and keeping the vehicles cleared to enter the runway on the ground frequency. Uh, The following factors contributed a high workload in an unusual context where the roles in the tower were sometimes poorly delimited. Ain't my job, I guess. The reopening of the inner runway after snow clearance, although the snow clearance of the taxiways to join them to the runway required the snow clearance vehicles to enter the runway. Uh, Okay. Practices without a clear framework regarding the use of frequencies for the vehicles during Temporary runway closures, stop bar configuration incompatible with the snow clearance paths taken by the vehicles. Um, Yeah, so there were a lot of um, factors here involved Mm -hmm. in this, but basically it was just miscommunication. The the ground controller and the tower controller, um, you know, were on on different pages and weren't informing each other of what they were clearing things to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the good thing is that the uh, flight crew managed to keep control of the aircraft. I mean, I'm assuming they are departing on a contaminated runway mm-hmm. because uh, obviously they've got snow clearing operations in force. Uh, now, our briefing was that once you um, started a takeoff uh, in contaminated runway conditions, you only attempted to stop in the most dire of circumstances. And uh, this is obviously a pretty dire circumstance if a, if a bulldozer, a snowplow is coming a on the runway. Big but, lump uh, of metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, a huge hunger. But it just, it, it's an indication of the danger, the difficulty that you can encounter if you try and reject on a very slippery runway. Um, it's, it's actually quite easy to keep control of the aircraft while you're taking off. Uh, but you try and apply the brakes, and uh, you know if, if the uh, 
friction coefficient is poor as it would be in a contaminated runway. It's quite easy to lose control of the aircraft during the rejection. It's not a simple uh, maneuver, uh, and nor is it very easy to stop. If they were lucky, they also at low speed, so yeah. that helped a lot. Interesting. But this could have been Jim much, here. much worse. Sorry. Interesting comment from Tim in the chat room. Why don't you read it? He's saying, having plowed the runway at 9G2, the last few snow events, I can't believe the plow operator can't pay attention. Well, I don't know. Can you really fault the plow operator because he wasn't listening to the tower frequency and the fact that the airplane was clear for takeoff? Or uh, I don't well, know. You could look, I, I guess, low visibility. Perhaps you couldn't yeah. see the aircraft. So uh, Right. Blowing snow. There, there was a considerable distance between them, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, not good, not good. This sort of thing, you know, leads to another Tenerife. Not as big quite, but, uh, you know, it's just the worst thing in the world. I can imagine roaring down the runway and finding there's a huge, great, big obstruction in your way. Yeah. You know, if they'd been all, everybody had been on the same frequency, then um, somebody would have likely have noticed the incompatibility of the clearance for takeoff and the fact that the snowplows were still on the runway yes we made this comment before in that um sh- doesn't the tower controller shouldn't he have control over everything that goes on his runway how come a ground controller uh, can clear something onto the active runway uh, without proper coordination now, if the tower controller contro- controls everything that comes onto his runway he knows mm-hmm. that there's uh, a conflict if someone else does it without his knowledge well of an obvious problem Tim's, Tim is saying here that they should have a radio listening to the frequencies in their truck. But they were, no, they do. They had radio. They were con- they were communicating on the ground frequency. Ground control was directing the one them. directing them to do things. The airplane was on tower frequency. They were on two separate frequencies. And our point here is that they should have, it, it would be my recommendation that everybody, as Nick just said, when it concerns the active runway, uh, or clearance onto or crossing an active runway, it should all be on this, should be one frequency. So everybody can hear what's so going on. So it's really on. the communication between the controllers, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Was that issue too? Oh, yeah. I think that was the biggest issue. Yeah. And also, um, you know, the, the sort of um, runway safety precautions that happen on big airports, uh, reels, the, um, the, uh, controlled uh, lighting system, the red lighting system that comes on if there's something uh, on the runway when you're taking off, um, is another fantastic uh, mm-hmm. device that should have been available to them. It would have both stopped the uh, um, snowplow and might well have stopped the aircraft uh, uh, as well. I think those those lights, those light systems should be on all of these major airport runways. Unfortunately, even Atlanta doesn't have that system. Now, Charlotte does. And some others that I've been to, Boston, I think, is one. Um, I'm sure that the people in the live audience can name a few others that have these. Uh, and and it's not the runway and identifier light system. It's a it's another it's another acronym that I can't off the top of my head think of the runway incursion status light, runway status lights or something like that. Anyway, the, these are completely autonomous lights and not controlled by a human that will let you know when somebody is cleared to take off or rolling on a certain part of the runway and you're holding short at a taxiway that might cross the runway at a certain point, these these red lights come on. Mm-hmm. And again, they're not controlled by humans. Uh, and when you see that, even if they cleared you to cross a runway, if you see those red lights on, you don't. You, you Nobody can over 
overrule the those lights. So it's a it's a great system. Mm-hmm. Our mark now. Half hour. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to do it I know. unobtrusively. I, real, I realize now Liz is holding up her iPhone and it's saying one half hour mark now. <laughs> You're not supposed to know that, you people watching. I'm trying to do it surreptitiously. Yeah, well, now I'll know better. When you start holding up your phone, I'll, okay. I'll know to look over there. Okay. And, thank you. Or you can just say, hey, half an hour mark. I know. I did want to intrude. Okay. Thanks. All right. Anything else to say there? No. Nope. Okay. Let me see if I remember what I was going to sing here. About a B. Yeah. We're rolling down the runway, and our airspeeds don't match. What's going on here? Could it be a B? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, let's see. A tag Angola Airlines Boeing 737 700 registration Delta 2 Tango Bravo Juliet performing flight 582 from Maputo. Mozambique to Luanda, Angola, was, again, you're picking these things, aren't you, Liz? Yep. Okay. Uh, was accelerating from for takeoff from Maputo's runway five when the crew rejected takeoff at about 80 knots due to an airspeed disagreement between the captain's and first officer's instruments. The aircraft slowed safely and returned to the apron. The airline reported a bee was found in one of the pitot tubes, forcing the crew to reject takeoff. The passengers disembarked and were taken to a hotel. The aircraft was handed to maintenance and returned it with an airworthy condition, uh, I guess without the bee in the pitot tube. They returned to service. The aircraft departed again the following day after enjoying some honey. Um, no. Yeah, Everybody about, got a wax. <laughs> about 28 hours on the ground. Reached Luanda with a delay of only 28 hours and 15 minutes. So. So is this, this is the Lyon. Oh, this was the snowplow. Sorry, I didn't realize it was the oh, second one. The, yeah, Sorry. that's the snowplow. That's, I'm bad. Too late now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the thing I like about this is their prompt decision to reject the takeoff because mm-hmm. it's unbelievable the number of aircraft that have continued you know, uh, well, <laughs> they they had warning before V1, but they continued on uh, with disagreeing uh, airspeed indicators, and some crashed. Uh, others have successfully coped with the problem and got it back on the ground, but so much simpler at 80 knots when you do an airspeed check to go, oh, they're not equaling. They're not, they're not the same. Let's stop. Um, yep. There's why- a reason why we do that, Jess, yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, I just find it unbelievable that, uh, you know, these guys brilliantly did it, but so many others haven't. Yeah, you're right. Um, somebody was asking, why did it take 28 hours to fix the airplane? I don't know. Oh, yeah, Maybe, you just put your, you put your mouth on the veto troop. <laughs> yeah, make sure you let it cool off. <laughs> hey, Larry's, fo- Larry's here, and he's flown Air, Air Algeria many times. Has he? he well, has. wow. Good for you, Larry. Yeah. You're a braver man than <laughs> I am, Ganga Din. Was this when you were younger and not Carefree. quite as wise yes. as you are now, sir? I actually chose that item because it's sort of a continuation of our series on different kinds of livestock and animals and oh. their interaction with planes, you know, deer and moose. and. Crocodiles. We are animal lovers here we at are. the APA. We love them. Exactly. Including, is, is there a possible a show uh, title in a oh, flight yeah. of the bumblebee or yeah. something? Or Bumble, yeah. yeah. 
Bumbling bee. Let it be. <laughs> Bumbled. Bumbling bee blocking. Good one. It's got to be a bee in there somewhere, but pedo tube starts we'll with figure a Figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, just keep keep that in mind. Yeah. Liz is writing it down. Thank everybody. Yes. All right. And Tim Van Ram is saying we should be playing the flight of the bumblebee. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh. I I'd re- I just wanted to sing Let It Be. Yeah. Let it, but by the way, it's not the one that the Beatles sang. It's "Let It Be" B E E. Well, you usually sing on Sunday, so you're kind of missing. That's it. true. I, yeah. I have to get it out of my system. I, I, I happen to like bumblebees. I don't think they're irresponsible enough to crawl into petoed proofs. No, they're good pollinators. They're probably too fat. It was a different type of bee then. Yeah, I think it was an irresponsible. It was a murder bee, bee or whatever they're called now. You know those bad bees. Oh, the bad, the bad, the bad bee. bee. Oh, yeah. Al's got a good one, to be or not to be, B-E-E, and ah. then like, it's about the takeoff, or you're going to be a beto tube. tube. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Okay. Well, that's a good idea. All right. Well, there might be something else as we move along here. Speaking of moving along, let's do this. Oh, oh gosh. That's okay. Don't worry. This shouldn't take long. It's only us. That's yeah. true. And we've we all done the, the same thing. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Who should be our spokesperson? Absolutely. All right. Getting to know us. It's the time of the show where we get all caught up on what we have been doing between shows. When was the last show, Liz? Do you remember? Sometime last Friday. week. <laughs> Friday. Yeah, like a week ago Friday. Yeah. So it's been a little bit more than a week. And it is now um, Sunday on the 27th of February. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I did not so eloquently. Uh, we are at, in the conservatory studio in the beautiful village of Liss in Hampshire and at uh, the uh, Nick and Jilly Anderson uh, house. Stately Anderson Manor. Yes, very nice. Anderson Manor. We have no manners. Well, <laughs> true. We've been looking for them. <laughs> haven't found it. Then they're not here. No, that's not true at all. Uh, Jilly has been a wonderful host, and she's such a great cook. And uh, this place is so beautiful. Um, and we're staying. We're yeah, not going we're, home. Oh, shh. Oh. We're not supposed to tell them. Oh, yet. sorry. <laughs> I'm driving you to the airport tomorrow, so you're going somewhere. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know. Um, those tests are going to come out negative. Right? I mean, positive. Positive, yeah. Positive. You're still yeah, going to the airport. I paid the extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to be like living in the terminal like yes, Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Lovely. You'll isolate in the terminal. So <laughs> one might ask, what the heck are you doing over uh, at Nick's place um, over in Hampshire? Just here to harass him. Yes, because we missed him and we wanted to <laughs> visit them. And also it just happened to coincide with the Plain Talking UK's 400th episode um, recording and celebration. celebration. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, And a great chance to get together. Yeah. So uh, Liz and I, it was kind of a surprise. I asked Liz about what, a couple weeks ago? Two weeks ago tomorrow. I said, hey, if if there's a way for me to get you to, you know, use some of my past privileges, would you be able to, you know, take care of uh, lodging for... For Poppy and Jake, and uh, join me. And I'm sorry, Jack, not Jake. I don't know. I can't. Do you have a Jake? I do not. Oh, okay. No, must be a different person no. that I'm thinking of. No. Um, anyway, um, she said, "Yeah, I think I think I can arrange that." Yeah. Although it was like at first, it was, bit, I, it was a little bit of a struggle for, because I guess a lot of people suddenly in Canada are starting to travel, and so the first couple of people who I've used before to look after my dogs 
were booked up. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to work. Anyway, I was able to find a place for Poppy and a place for Jack. And I said, okay. Let's I'm do coming. this. We're doing it. So yeah. uh, she flew down on Thursday from uh, Toronto to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the two of us um, went from Atlanta to Heathrow. London on Friday. We got in Friday morning and the lovely Jilly Anderson picked uh, us up from the airport uh, while uh, Nick did all the preparation in the house, all the cleaning. Cooked dinner. Cooking. And, yeah. No, just kidding. He didn't do any of that. He walked the dogs. <laughs> oh, I wish I had now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then we met up and had a wonderful visit. Uh, um, we were having such a wonderful time. We postponed the show. That's why we did. Yeah, we were 25th. thinking about doing the show on Friday, but we were kind of pooped, pooped yes. <laughs> and thought, eh, maybe it would be better if we did this on Sunday. Turns out that it's not better. No, <laughs> Probably should have done it on Friday. <laughs> anyway, um, so we did. We had a nice visit on Friday. Friday evening had a wonderful meal, and Liz and I tried to catch up on our jet lag. Mm-hmm. And uh, the following morning, we got up and had a uh, After nice... After a fair amount of whiskey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that part. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, Nick and I do like the odd whiskey. Jeff was not a whiskey kind of... No, drink. but I did. But I you thought, got you know, into it. I, you, yeah, yeah, I did. I had a, a very nice... Um, Scotch whiskey? Well, no, 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 a Welsh whiskey. Get some of uh, Al's whiskey. Captain Al. Um, if you're still there, Captain Al, that was a wonderful whiskey. And so we enjoyed that, and that helped us uh, and get we moved to... on to the Scotch. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And we Did tried, we? Yeah. And we <laughs> I don't remember much. <laughs> about four of those. No. No, we did not. That is not well, true. amongst all of us. Oh, amongst oh, all yes. of us, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we got up and... Got up and had a nice little uh, light breakfast and then uh, off in the car and off to the uh, Brooklyn's museum. Uh, museum where the Plain Talking UK folks had their 400th episode recording celebration. Yeah, great thing. museum. I wish I'd had a chance to have a look around. It really is nice because yeah. they actually have tours of the uh, of the of Concord uh, where you can get mm. on. And, and in fact, that place uh, holds a special place in my heart because the very first time that I made it to London, I was picked up by, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Nev, Neville Bounds. Well, he's, nah. he's made Who a very lovely he? comment here. Oh, okay. Neville has made a wonderful comment. It says, to all the APG crew, thank you very much for making the trek over. We all loved seeing you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says that now because he yeah. was running away from me this morning. Right. And by the way, Laura, I had not been drinking this morning. Uh, and I wasn't seeing things. It was not an illusion. I saw Nev, and I yelled out to him, and he, he I think just, he actually ran yeah. to hide. <laughs> well, um, can I just interrupt you, as I yes. usually do? Mm-hmm. I think you missed out one of, to me, the nice parts was we were able to surprise the guys. They didn't know I was coming. Oh, that's so true. Yes. That was kind of fun, because uh, nobody, we even didn't let Steph know until the last minute that I was going to be here. Um, because she joined up with us. Jeff will talk about that. Anyway, it was great because I was able to actually pull off a surprise and arrive there. Yeah, it was a, it was a was fun. big surprise. And it was like a minor miracle that I was able to keep that a secret because I'm yes. not very good at <laughs> yeah. keeping things secret. Um, but yes, uh, we um, surprised her. Of course, we knew Nick and Jilly knew because it would have been a kind of kind of a rude thing to show. Yeah. Us. Yeah. Oh, by we, the way, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have had the the bedroom ready. Well, I did have to write to Nick when Jeff made his offer and say, "Can I come and stay, please?" And they were very gracious. And oh, and the other sure. thing would be that uh, he would have been in his roadster. 
Yes. With only, you know, a two-seater. Uh, yeah. That would have been... I'd be strapped to the... Yeah, I'd, I'd be still at Heathrow and Jeff would be driving Liz right. <laughs> no. to my place. I don't, I don't want to drive here. <laughs> I don't trust myself to drive here. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Jilly picked us up and, and anyway, it was a, a wonderful time. But Steffi did join us too. Steph joined yeah, us. that's unbelievable. I mean, you'll you hear talk. about her, I guess, next week if we can get her on. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll let her tell her own tale. But she was here briefly. Very Att briefly. Attended the event yesterday. We had the four of us got time to spend together, which was great. But then she went right back up to Heathrow last night and stayed over and is almost at JFK, I think, as we speak. So, mm -hmm. yep. Um, having fun, looking great. Um, everyone was delighted that uh, she was able to come. She gets lots of hugs. Yeah, they didn't hugs. care about the three of us. No, she gets all. a lot more hugs than yeah. I do. That's oh, me too. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason. And, um, uh, we were just sorry that uh, Rick and Nick couldn't yeah. make it because that would have uh, been the icing on the cake. It would have, yes. Oh. Maybe next time. Yeah. Still, it was a good show, wasn't it? The four. Yeah. It was a great. It was great. There's I don't know how they're going to top that for the five hundredth. So uh, I, I wouldn't bother going to the five hundredth. Anybody? No. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't. It can't be any good, <laughs> right? Yeah. No. It's going to be a real letdown. So today we got up, we had a lovely breakfast at the hotel, nice leisurely breakfast, and then... A full English breakfast, is that what you call it? Uh, I believe so. The meal yeah, there were, there were bits of other nations in there as well. But but they all fitted together well. I didn't see any black pudding, but they... Yeah, I know. Yeah, that was a disappointment. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then, uh, graciously, Nick drove me up to Heathrow so I could get COVID tested to go home tomorrow and that that was great actually we were in and out really fast drive through facility it was good that haven't was, got the results yet good. so that was a highlight of my trip actually watching <laughs> <Liz>. <laughs> <laughs> watching someone assault me with a swab yeah exactly right yeah, yeah. and I, i've never i've never heard liz scream like that before no I'm, i must admit i thought the swabs were supposed to be little things this was like a broom massive handle, wasn't it it's like yeah. a toilet bowl cleaner yeah it was, it was. Yeah. that was exactly right <laughs> actually that's what Probably Maybe was. it was. Yeah. Excuse me. I don't think that's yeah. what you're supposed to You're use. right, Al. Al is saying there were two very high caliber guests on PTUK. Unlike no. our show, we don't have high caliber anybody. But, no. no. Um, no. At PTUK, they were great. The speakers were fantastic. We have large caliber, but yes. not high caliber. Well, that was my swab was large caliber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great seeing. And we're, I, I'm not going to even attempt to list all the wonderful people and other people. <laughs> That we uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we that we encountered the last uh, couple of days, uh, but it's it was great. You all know who you are. Yeah, we love uh, you. Many of whom are actually with us right now in the live audience. Exactly right. And others. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, um, and unfortunately, uh, Nick C and Rick uh, Miami Rick weren't able to join us uh, this afternoon because of their schedules. Uh, but uh, next week we should be back on a regular show. Uh, schedule and we're always hoping and that kind of thing of course we don't really don't know if that's true or not we're just you know crossing the fingers and yeah. hopefully we'll get everybody together next Fly week. blind blind yep and uh, let's see oh before this whole amazing weekend which is still amazing uh we or i not we um i met up with uh somebody mm. named uh mm. robert rob dick hamish mm -hmm. uh, a man guy. of many names him uh, at the Six Bridges Brewery in Johns Creek, which is a suburb, a North Atlanta suburb, 
Uh, he was uh, in town for his grandmother's 90-something birthday um, and uh, together with family. He mentioned to me that he was going to be in town, and if I was going to be there as well, let's get together. So Saturday night, we met up at the uh, Six Bridges Brewery and had a wonderful time. Got all caught up with uh, Rob and what he's been doing. He's good. He's well. And um, so just wanted to, to mention that. Thank you. Uh, he, he escaped from the party or something, did he? Yeah, I think it was, you know, <laughs> it was it was kind of like an all-day kind of a party, and then they kind of wrapped it up. There's only the, so much family evening. time you think, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit like you lot. And there were a lot of... A lot of older people, so I think that um, you know. Mm-hmm. People... Oh, that's so you fit right in then. Right? I did. Yeah. No, I wasn't at the party. Oh, it was I was with only with Rob at the. I was you know we got together around eight o'clock or so, right. and so after after I sang at the uh, masses on Saturday, I just uh, drove over and uh, met up with him, and we had a good time. So I just wanted to mention that, and that was really. Besides, you know what? What about Nick? Is what well, yeah, well, Nick, to? have you done anything interesting um, before no. we than, arrived? Yeah, no. Was your life interesting at all before we arrived? Yes. <laughs> you put the mockers on it, but it was fine until you two pitched. <laughs> How about you, Liz? No, I was just getting ready to come and uh, have fun with you guys. So yeah, I was running around and dropping the dog off and the cat off and. Getting COVID tested again and all that good yay. stuff. So yay. Yeah, it's really yeah. I mean, I have not traveled for a couple of years and it's just like all the documentation you have to get and understand the time frames and which type of tests. And of course, going home because I'm going home via the States, I have to comply with US entry and then Canadian entry. And then it's it's just you gotta have your wits about you. So Yeah. And I, I, after I'm, the after the show, I'm taking my test. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should do that live on camera. No, let's get that live on camera. <laughs> Not a good idea. Yeah, because I have to do this online. And I was just a bit worried, Liz, when you said you were dropping off uh, Jack uh, with the vet. I thought you might have decided I've been put down so you could come to London. No. <laughs> Aww. Hey, thought you knew why, me better than that. Why did you put them down? Um. All right. Uh, why don't we talk about last week's mm-hmm. cover art mm-hmm. for episode 510 of the uh, title of the show, Crackpots and Coffee Pots. And you weren't, you weren't on the show with us, were you? Uh, no. no. Power I, failure. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. right. They had a big windstorm here. And, Storm uh, Franklin. Out the, uh, is it Franklin. Franklin. Okay. Uh, or Eunice. No, that was, was a, Eunice. That was a different Eunice? one with a funny name. Eunice. Eun- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, a, a lot of a lot of blowing going on here. Yeah, blow yeah. blows, blowed the power out in the internet, and so he couldn't join us. But he still uh, get we gave him some ideas for the cover art and uh, the title, uh, crack pots and coffee pots. And if you're watching your uh, chapter art, we're showing that now and also on the video. Um, wow! So tell us what's going on here. Um, I haven't a that, clue. I was I was. <laughs> It looks <laughs> there, there was uh, references to uh, the World Wrestling um, I'm Federation. I'm not going to WWE. That's yeah. what I called it, the World Wrestling Federation. No, it's WWF, WWE But now, now they're saying it's not WWF World anymore. Wrestling Entertainment or Entertainment. Something? WWF so, yeah. is the World Wide uh, And uh, people being beaten by coffee pots mm-hmm. uh, on an airplane. So, oh, and threat levels. So I love the threat level. So a lot of disguised talk about 
threat levels and how we weren't supposed to be talking about threat levels. Exactly right. So, uh, yeah, but in this uh, photo here is threat level 10, (laughs) which may or may not be a real thing. Is that like DEF CON? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We really can't say any any more than that. No. No. But it's a a beautiful piece of art. Uh, It looks like a very. Uh, it's just like the average flight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thankfully not. Yeah. A lot of wrestling and hitting. No, I think it's just what happens when the passengers ask for extra coffee. Mm. Right. There Too much go. caffeine. Yes. <laughs> All right. You want extra coffee? I'll give you extra coffee. Actually, that bloke in the in the red and white hat suit mm-hmm. looks very much like someone who's sitting next door to me. But uh, me. Yeah, I reckon he's a Did you put my face in there? <laughs> Seriously, did you? I can't tell. Is that I me? I know you can't tell. How how will you ever know? Oh, yeah, well, I do remember wearing that uh, mask. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you must have I snapped a photo to. of me. Did <laughs> <laughs> you put the coffee fund in in the overlays? Oh, I didn't put the coffee fund in in the overlays. Well, don't tell anybody, okay. Liz. <laughs> well, you know what I can do then? I can do... I can put them in the overlays right now. Okay. That's probably going to be the easiest thing for me to do. a little pause for a little. Yeah, a technical yeah. pause. Yeah, just talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you, th- do you think those beers are uh, cold yeah. enough for us to? Uh, oh, it's definitely beer time. Yeah. 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 Not for me, but. Oh, you even have them next. Oh, wow. I didn't know you had no, them he's right He's Mr. Organized. Yes. Yeah, it's that time of the show where we open up beers and sing the coffee fun. Oh, we get to sing it together here. How about some coffee? Johnny, how about some more coffee? No thanks. No, no thanks. I'll take beer. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the java and me. Got the beer. <laughs> okay, the coffee fun. Hang on. Mm. Is your way, dear listener, to support our show financially. And you can do that a couple of different ways. The first way is what we call the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, Chris Randall, Mazuts Karim, who we just saw. We did, yes. Absolutely. Hi, Mazuts. And he sent us a lovely email. Oh, he did. And Vigner Ornguanathan. Pronounce that for me. What? The last name. Yes, okay. Okay. And uh, I got it. Okay. The other way to support us is via Patreon. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash airline pilot guy. And since the last episode, we have a new. Um, and let me don't don't let me get in the way of all this here. <laughs> uh, executive producer Luis Cateras. Ca- 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 I have no idea. Uh, maybe he's a new executive producer. And we have a. Uh, Ed, a new assistant senior executive producer. So thank you very much, Ed. And he didn't want to use his real surname and last name. He's so famous, he only goes by one name. Yeah, and uh, I think he was in some kind of a, co- uh, a, a show. Yeah, kid's that. show. Yeah. Ed, yeah. Ed and the... Yeah, He's a horse. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Thank you, Ed. Uh, yes, Mr. Ed, we're going to call him. Thank you very much. And so if you, dear listener, want to join this great group of people and horses, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee, and you can find information about how you can join, you can join this great group. And... Now, it's time for some feedback. Yay! And for me to drink some beer. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
Captain. Incoming message. <laughs> I, I'm blinded. I can't see. Blinded by, by the, the light. light. <laughs> we have fun. Oh, you we're having what? a great time. Goodbye, everybody. We're you just going to laugh. If we didn't have internet here, we would still be doing this. We'd be <laughs> pretending that we were doing a live show yeah. <laughs> because it's so much fun. <laughs> Do you want a baseball cap? No, I'm good. I, okay. I'll just go. Just a trilby. I'll just sit. A cowboy hat. No. Oh, yeah. You have a few hats. Yeah. So if you're wondering what direction that is, uh, the sun is beaming in, and uh, it's late in the day. So there you go. That that's mm -hmm. west, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's north or westish. Uh, southwest. Yeah. Southwest. Okay. <sighs> All right. Let's uh, do some feedback here. Mm -hmm. uh, this is from Jeffrey, not me, but another Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Air traffic controller tells the story of when he asked. For vertical separation to an SR-71 Blackbird crew in conflicting route with a Concorde supersonic airliner. This is from the Aviation Geek Club. They need to work on making their their headline shorter. Um, <laughs> Editing. Okay, again, Aviation Geek Club. The uh, Okay, let's uh, start with the article here. I have a Concorde operating westbound on a conflicting route with you at 60,000 feet. I need 4,000 feet. Ver you know what? I'm not going to read that pull no. quote. Let's we just have. Well, I, I only read half of it. <laughs> well, okay. But cut. I right. only had a couple of sips of beer. I, yeah, really, look. I it's know, almost yeah, at the top. I know that. I'm saying. I know. It's only going to get worse. Uh, it's it strong will. stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. The Aerospatiale uh, BAC Concorde was a British-French supersonic passenger jet airline. Do, really? They all know this. We have this. to know what... Yeah. We all know what a Concorde is. Yeah. It had a maximum speed of Mach 2.04, which is 1,354 miles per hour or 2,180 kilometers per hour at cruise altitude over twice the speed of sound with seating for 92 to 128 passengers. The aircraft entered service in 1976 and continued flying for the next 27 years. Air France and British Airways were the only airlines to purchase and fly Concorde. So now you're informed of what the Concorde is. Mm -hmm. Aircraft flew at a cruising altitude of 60,000 feet from where passengers could see the curvature of the Earth, uh, which is very disappointing to those flat earthers out there. Oh, look at that <laughs> helicopter out there. That's a Hi. interesting one. Oh, yeah. That's an older. Yeah. Well, it, no, it's sort of one of those little gyroscope. Oh, yeah. it is a gyroscope. Yeah. Gyroscope. No, well, gyros no, no, but gyrocopter. Gyrocopter. Gyro. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Gyro thing. Yeah. yeah. Something I've like done that. a plane tell about those. I ought to remember You'd the have. name. Yeah. At first, I thought it was farther away and it was one of those like heavy lift helicopters, you know, that like the sky cranes yeah, or yeah. whatever. But it I wasn't. I was wrong. It was much closer and it was not a gyrocopter. It was a gyrocopter. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the Concorde. Uh, the aircraft flew at a cruising altitude of 60,000 feet. Okay, we already talked about got, that. Yeah, got that. According to aerotime.aero, in the same altitude bracket flew the U.S. Air Force SR-71 Blackbird spy plane. During the Cold War, pilots of the Concorde were asking air traffic control to move the SR-71 out of its way so it could proceed to New York's John F. Kennedy Airport as well as other destinations. Peter Clark, former air traffic controller, remembers an interesting story appeared on ATC History titled Concord in Conflict with an SR-71 Blackbird. Uh, if you type the above subject into your internet search, it comes up with stories referring to a possible conflict between 
an Air France Concorde and an SR-71, which many doubt actually happened. Mm. But we're going to pretend it did. Pretend, yeah. The following, oh, the controller says, the following did happen as I was the controller. I read an account from a Concorde captain on the BBC news site a few years ago uh, who was being interviewed about Concorde after it had been taken out of service. He narrated this story as it was unique for it to be suggested Concorde could possibly be in conflict at the altitude it cruised. There is also a documentary that has appeared on the Quest TV channel about the SR-71 Blackbird, during which one captain relates this story from his perspective. And it says, here is my version. Flying between 55,000 to 60,000 feet, Concorde was above the subsonic jet aircraft. It was given this vertical profile of 5,000 feet as the actual altitude the Concorde would level off at dependent on what the actual temperature was on that particular day. This temperature could also vary during the crossing, so the aircraft would adjust altitude accordingly. One or two executive jet aircraft could possibly reach 43,000 feet on a good day, but they were still not a problem to Concorde. On one particular day, however, I did control another aircraft that could be more that could more than match Concorde, both in speed and altitude. The American military SR-71 Blackbird Mach 3 Plus spy plane. Sometimes military aircraft crossing the Atlantic would have a reserved route kept clear for them in order for formations of jets to refuel en route as necessary from an accompanying tanker. Okay. Uh, The SR-71 had more than sufficient range for the crossing and was operating solo. Although we could control many, and I think in that they mean just a single uh, jet, um, not a flight of jets. Although we could control many American subsonic aircraft like the C-141 or C-17 heavy cargo aircraft or maybe even troop carriers on our track system, they would not communicate with our HF radio station near Shannon. Instead, they would use an American military HF radio station, Croughton, in Oxfordshire, or is it Croughton? How do you pronounce it? CR? I'm lost where you are. I'm right here. Uh, Croughton. In Oxfordshire. Like Croughton. (laughs) Say it again. Croughton. In Oxfordshire. Like most military units, they had a regular change of staff. So generally, the radio operators had a very limited experience of the operations they were handling. Keep it simple for them, and it was okay. Anything out of the ordinary, and it caused much confusion. I was controlling a westbound Concorde just entering my airspace when I received details of an SR-71 coming eastbound on a route that would conflict with Concorde. The SR-71 did not always fly supersonically. It was doing less than Mach 1 on this day, but it was still at a very high altitude. I've been told it was above 600, in other words, above 60,000 feet, approximately. Concorde was operating up to 60,000 feet, and the vertical separation standard at that altitude was 4,000 feet. I sent a message to the American radio operator to ask the exact altitude of the SR-71. A few minutes later, the answer came back, above 600. I telephoned the radio operator, explaining I needed the exact altitude. The radio operator's response was, I'll patch you through. The operator had a facility to operate a two-way switch on the radio. Push it one way, you could transmit over the telephone. Switch it the other way to receive. At the end of each transmission, you had to remember to say over in order for the radio operator to know when to flick the switch. I was now talking directly to the pilot of the SR-71. This is the Shanwick controller. Confirm your altitude. Over. SR-71 says, we are above 600. Over. 
me. I need to know your exact altitude. Over. SR-71 says, above 600. Over. Me. <laughs> Am I to understand you are unable to give me your exact altitude? Over. And then the SR-71. Affirmative. Over. <laughs> These aircraft had a stealth capability and could fly at very, very high altitudes, often above 70,000 feet. They did not, however, want anyone to know exactly what altitude they were flying, so they uh, would switch off their radio signal that would indicate altitude to a radar radar operator once they climbed. Me. Okay. I have a Concorde operating westbound on a conflicting route with you at 60,000 feet. I need 4,000 feet vertical separation. Do I have it? Over. The SR-71 says, you sure have. Over, I guess. <laughs> Me, that's all I need to know. Thanks. Out. Just another little moment to brighten my day. So. Wow. Yeah. Imagine how fast they were closing on each oh, other. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Jeez. I guess you said that in this case, the SR-71 was subsonic, but still, it yeah. had to be a very, very mm-hmm. quick I, I, I'm going to wave my little oh, okay. BS flag at some of that because um, an, an aircraft flying at 70,000 feet subsonic needs pretty big wings like uh, mm. a U-2 True. or an, uh, you know, um, the other one, uh, the TR, yeah. You the know. Triumph. That's it, the Triumph. <laughs> uh, an SR-71, uh, it doesn't exactly have high lift wings. No. So I say he probably had to be supersonic to be up at 70,000 plus. Probably. Yes. So and they were closing from, very fast. This is from a supersonic jet <laughs> operator. But here. there again, I wasn't there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, it makes for an interesting story, though. Oh, it, it does. Yes. Good absolutely. tale. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. Did, who sent this in? Jeffrey. Jeffrey, thank you for uh, Great name. sending that in. Yeah, I love that name. Okay. And then again, that was from the aviationgeekclub.com. All right. Uh, continuing on. Oh, wait a minute. Does this mean that Hillel's not going to be with us? I today? think we might. Yeah. So he might still be able to make it. No, I, think I didn't were... invite him, and he's not in my toilet. We're going to patch him in. Well, we'll see. Oh, he uh, might still be in Jeff's toilet. Yeah. Well, I mean, who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really mean that. It sounded good. <laughs> but uh, Hillel uh, made a trip. I think he's still there. He's still there, there? Yep. yeah. Uh, to Israel. And uh, he sent us some audio feedback because he had a meetup over there. Yeah, so let's take a listen. Greetings, APG listeners. This is Hillel, and I am not in the bathroom. I am in Israel, actually, at a very lovely pub in the city of Ashdod, and I am here with Eyal Shai, who is a former Israel Air Force officer and is now a flight instructor in the only flight academy in the state of Israel. And I just wanted to say hello to you and give him a chance to say hi. You may have recalled Eyal in the chat of the most recent podcast. And um, so I'll shut up and let Eyal say hi. Hello, uh, APG crew and listener. I'm happy to meet Hillel here in Israel. And I'm happy to be one of the APG members or friends. And hope to see you. Everybody that come to Israel is invited to meet me. I'll be glad. Thank you very much, Eyal. And I'll say his name one more time so you get how to say it. It's Eyal Shai. In any case, um, 
if you get an opportunity to do an aerial tour of Israel, I highly recommend it. I did it when I got my first private pilot uh, certificate, and it is truly uh, an amazing place to see from the air, but also on the ground. So make sure you give yourself enough time and get in touch with AL. For now, that's all. Take care. Have a great day, and next time. Yes, next time, like in about two hours. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Great to meet Ayal, and we already know Hillel, of course. Ayal was in the chat room last week. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, Hillel in the bathroom in Israel, and, and Hillel was having trouble trying to figure it all out. Remember? <laughs> what? Do they have different bathrooms? Apparently, they have different plumbing or fixtures. All right. Or okay. But uh, that's awesome. I, I love hearing about um, aviation podcasting geeks getting together and uh, enjoying each other's company and uh, great to hear from you and Ayal. Ayal. I've already messed it up because he meant he said his name several times. Ayal. Yeah. Uh, in Israel. So thanks. Yeah. I'm looking forward to get more stories about Israeli aviation because we've had some great plane tales from. Uh, yeah. Israel. Oh, that's right. He's helped you out in a uh, couple of. No. Circum- oh, that was near. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ayal. Get in contact with uh, Nick and you can help him out. I mean, he needs help. <laughs> Trust <laughs> yes, me. Yes, lots. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Hillel, for sending that in. And uh, let's move on with um, feedback from Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, another flight plan question. APG crew, you answered my question about flight plans on your last episode, which was great. Thank you. I shared this with my friend and he asked what happens with the military. He lives in the uh, across the pond with Captain Nick. Oh, he lives with you? Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I Where is he, around. Mike? Is he? He's probably Mike? in the garden shed. Oh, okay. I don't. I have not seen him. I don't no, know what no. Nick has done with Mike. Um. Anyway, uh, he recently monitored a B fifty two on flight radar twenty four with its transponder on. It got us thinking about military flight plans. Are they required? Yes. <laughs> I may have missed it, but there must be a minimum altitude where flight plans are not required. Well, I don't know. I, I, all my military flying, other than major transits uh, from country to country, I never filed a flight plan. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I. Well, maybe it was just the type of airplane I was flying. But on the C one forty one, we always file, filed a flight plan. And in uh, ATC um, pilot training, as an instructor, well, student and instructor, uh, when we, well, we filed flight plans for like cross countries. But for local missions and that sort of thing, yeah, no, we didn't. No, even if I was flying to another airbase uh, somewhere, really? I, I, no, no flight plan. No, was that required. might have something to do with because uh, I think our in the U.S. If we were if um, fighter jets or whatever are going from one base to another, um, I think they they do file flight plans. I could be wrong about that though. But when I went, went across to Australia, uh, they said, uh, "Oh yeah, we file flight plans for almost every flight." So uh, I had to learn how to – well, actually, I never really learned how to – I got one of the junior pilots to do it for me. <laughs> well, somebody did it. Yeah, so he delegated. Did it. Yeah. So what we're saying is Nick had no idea what was going on. He didn't know where they he were was. probably filing flight plans all the time. He just didn't know it. But to be fair, uh, when we did uh, low-level navigation sorties, uh, we would file a plan for the high-level bit. Um, we would give a routing for the low-level bit. But, of course, we wouldn't actually speak to anyone because we were down there doing our stuff. Uh, but at your exit point, you had to hit the time you said you would plus or minus two minutes. Otherwise, their traffickers got very upset with you. 
So, and you know, that's where you pulled out to fly Hannibal back home again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, from just my anecdotal experience, uh, a lot of times we'll hear ATC having communications with military uh, jets, sometimes on VHF, but usually on UHF. So we only hear the air traffic controllers end of the communication. But a lot of times it's coordinating for when they're entering um, a military operating area or a restricted area or a low level route or an air refueling route. And so there is coordination with air traffic control. And I'm just assuming because just based on the communications that I hear, they're talking about things that have to do with flight plans as far as like when you're expecting to leave because they kind of know what the plan is for, let's say, the refueling aircraft or the uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about the, the airplanes that are being refueled, though. Uh, so, again, I'm not sure I could really say with. You're just absolute, not sure. I'm just not you're sure. just not sure. <laughs> but I, you know what? I know. I'm sure that I've hit it about 50%. Oh. There you go. Right? Uh, I just wonder about buddy. Hang on. I'm going to get the. I got it. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm not ready yet. Hang on. Oh, oh you did, already did. Okay. So, I'm going to do this. Ready. All right. We hit the 50% mark. Just. Probably. Just barely, and probably the only time during the show that we went. <laughs> okay, he said. Also, how about drones? Here's a U.S. Air Force Forte 12 drone flight from Greece, checking out the Ukraine border. So, um, I'm assuming that that was probably on a flight plan because it wouldn't show up otherwise, would it? Or I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. You're not sure again. Well, again, I'm it's crossing many countries. So yeah. I perhaps um, because it's mixing with civil aircraft, uh, they might need to either at least have ADS up, if not a flight plan. Yeah, I mean they've got to be able to deconflict uh, with civil traffic, haven't they? Yeah. On the transit across. Basically, um, who sent this to us? Mike, uh, you probably should send this um, question into another Somebody show. Somebody who knows. <laughs> <laughs> what Somebody who's sure. About. <laughs> Is there the Assurance podcast that's sure? Yeah. We I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. Yeah. Ask opposing bases. They they might know. Well, they'll tell us they know. They'll yeah. say they know. They'll yeah, and then look at it wrong. They'll pretend. Yeah, you know, they'll they'll make up something and say that they're right. Yeah, mm, yeah. And they'll give you an obscure quote in some <laughs> volume that you've never heard of before. Some manual seventy one hundred. Yeah. You have no access to, so you can't six, verify it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we love you guys. We do. We really do. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's see. Thanks again for a great podcast approaching 2 million miles in the back of an Acme Airlines jet. And it's fun to learn more about the rest of the story with air travel. Appreciate Ooh, what you do. Sorry. Oh, that's right. Uh, thank you, Mike, for sending that in. And um, again, probably ask somebody that knows the answer. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, let's see. Feedback from, I don't know, what's PNW stand Pacific for? Northwest. Pacific Northwest Hemp. Um, regarding LED lighting. So he sent us some audio feedback. So let's take a listen. Hi, APG crew. Pacific Northwest Hemp here with a quick bit of feedback regarding episode 507 uh, on the LED lighting at airports. I just wanted to mention um, from a GA pilot standpoint, uh, as I fly into these uh, small airstrips, privately owned often, um, or even municipal, but uh, not, not super well-funded. Uh, the incandescent lighting often is not well-maintained, so it may be dim, uh, best case. And worst case, you'll be flying around looking for a strip 
only to realize that like maybe half the lights are actually working. Uh, so that, you know, big 2000 foot strip that you were looking for is only lit on one side or, you know, three quarters of the way on one side. It's, it's very interesting. So the LED lighting has really changed the game from that standpoint. Uh, once those airports switch out to LEDs, um, they are basically perfect. They're super bright um, and they work all the time and it's fantastic. So not relevant to, uh, you know, an airline pilot flying into big airports. Totally get that. Uh, but for us GIA guys looking for the little strips, um, especially in small towns like where I live, uh, it's kind of a big deal and it's pretty, pretty nice. That's it. Just wanted to offer that up. Thanks. Thank you, Pacific Northwest Hemp. Uh, I can definitely see your viewpoint and uh, how LED lighting could definitely be uh, an improvement. Um, I guess I like LED lighting, except when we're like doing low visibility operations, because it just seems like you just can't get it dim enough. It's just so bright that it's very distracting when you're trying to see the cues that you have to see to... Well in, it, well, in some airplanes, some airplanes, you don't have to see anything. But but once you get on the runway, um, sometimes those LED lights, even when they're, I mean, they're, they're able to dim them now, uh, but they're still almost too bright. I guess maybe it's just the, uh, the characteristic of the lighting as opposed to uh, incandescent lighting. But I could definitely see in the, the operations of um, small airports and, v, you know, they're usually VFR only kind of operations, how that they would be uh, – a good thing. Yeah, I think there are two problems here. First of all is maintenance of any lighting system. So if you're finding that only part of the lighting system is working because people aren't replacing bulbs or uh, fixing wiring problems, the same is going to happen with LED lighting when it gets old enough. The fact is it's working brilliantly now probably because it's brilliant. just about brand new. Mm. But um, give clever. it a few years and uh, you know, you'll probably find that if they're not maintaining their equipment, the LED lighting will be equally patchy. Um, the only thing I, I uh, am with Jeff here, the only thing I disliked about LED lighting was introduced just before I retired, um, was its intensity. Uh, you know, absolutely piercingly bright at times and air traffic unable to lure it to a comfortable level. Uh, uh, so, you know, if you really did need to find the runway on a really grubbly day, that was fantastic. But on a, a normal night, uh, I've actually found it uncomfortably bright and I've got roomy old eyes with cataracts. And if I was finding it bright, someone bright young first officer with clear eyesight must have been found it incredibly intense. Yeah. They, I have to say, though, since you've retired, they have kind of improved upon the 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 intensity levels. Um, oh, you mean they, they were just being mean to me? I think Correct. so, yeah. They oh. wanted you out of the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just make it uncomfortable for I guess, the lights. So. To be fair, reg you know, regarding incandescent and LED lighting, uh, the LED lighting, uh, the the bulb, well, they're not really bulbs. The, uh, the LEDs. Light emitting yeah, the diodes. Last, uh, they have a, a they last a lot longer than a typical filament uh, incandescent. So um, you know, chances are, I mean, they do burn out. You're right; they'll they will have to be replaced at some point. But um, might be, and I think they're a lot less expensive, also. Than oh yeah, and in power consumption, um, yeah, much better for the. Oh yeah, planet. a lot better. Yeah. And you can make them neat colors. Oh yeah, yeah, you can make them flash flash. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, do all sorts of rainbow colors. Things. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> we like those. Ah, don't give them any ideas. No. All right. Uh, Rob writes in uh, more pilots helping pilots. Good day, crew. This is Rob Legal in Providence, Rhode Island. Hope all's grand. I overheard some chatter about this on base the other day and searched for confirmation on it to no avail. I discovered this tonight confirming it and wanted to share. Uh, help from high places. And this is from uh, Beale Air Force dot M-I-L. So a, a Beale Air Force Base military website. Uh, U-2 pilots assist civilian aircraft in distress call. Um, Beale Air Force Base, California. That's up in Northern California near Sacramento. A U-2 Dragon Lady pilot assisted a civilian pilot in distress on the 8th of February, 2022, near Lake Berryessa which is uh, not far at all from where I used to live when I was in the Air Force uh, based at Travis. Uh, beautiful lake. At approximately 9 a.m., a civilian aircraft suffered engine failure over Lake Berryessa. The civilian pilot received radio assistance from Major Heatherman, 99th Reconnaissance Squadron U-2 pilot. Heatherman was flying a training mission when, didn't they say she? No, the Dragon Lady. You're, the, no. name, the name of You're the plane is the Dragon Lady. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll have another beer. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, sir. May Shimmy dampers are up next. Oh, and, um, By the way, uh, <laughs> TR1 uh, was uh, was the oh, TR1. designation I was trying to remember, uh, the Air Force version of the U-2. Okay. Yes, the name of the U-2, Dragon Lady, uh, was not a lady pilot. No. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, when I read that, I'm thinking, well, why are you making a big point about it being a male or female pilot? But now I get it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, Heatherman was flying a training mission when he picked up a distress call from a civilian aircraft that was experiencing engine trouble over Lake Berryessa and was looking for a place to land. Uh, here's a quote from Heatherman. I was climbing to altitude on a high sortie. At about 20 minutes after takeoff, I heard a mayday call from a civilian aircraft that was experiencing engine trouble over Lake Berryessa and I was, and was looking for a spot to land. Uh, I relayed this call to a supervisor of flying at Beale Air Force Base and to Oakland Air Traffic Control to see if they knew about it. After a few minutes, Heatherman received confirmation that Travis Air Force Base Air Traffic Control was coordinating. Due to the altitude of the civilian aircraft, Trav uh, in other words, being low, Travis Air Force Base was not able to hear or see them on radar. As a U-2 pilot, I was flying twice as high than most airliners, so I had a very good line of sight with my radios. Heatherman was asked to relay radio messages to the civilian aircraft. About 30 minutes after the Mayday call, the California Highway Patrol reported that they had found the civilian aircraft had safety landed safely landed in a field near the lake. Thankfully, the aircraft landed safely in a field with no injuries, said Major Heatherman. And then he proceeded to his... Oh, I'm sorry, that was by Major... Dudadar, Dudarar, Major D. <laughs> uh, let me let me say that quote again from Major D. Thankfully, the aircraft landed safely in a field with no injuries, and Major Heatherman then proceeded on his mission. I guess. Uh, oh, he was the uh, supervisor of flying. Hmm. It's not abnormal for pilots to offer assistance to distressed aircraft to different degrees based on the situation. There's a common bond among all pilots, whether military or civilian. We all will lend a hand if we can help in a difficult situation. Cool. Wow, I really butchered that one up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, good job, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. Good job, Virgin. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they're quite right because uh, unless you're a pilot, you may not realize uh, that 
uh, UHF and VHF uh, radios, uh, the frequency they work on, um, unlike a high-frequency uh, um, long-wave radio, uh, it can't bounce off the atmosphere, uh, and it will. It can't really go through solid objects very well. So when you're flying down low, um, you will only be able to transmit just about as far as you can see, hence uh, the total line of sight. Mm -hmm. So an aircraft way up um, can uh, get a very good range on the radio, only really limited by uh, attenuation and the strength of their uh, transmitter. So it's not unusual to be able to transmit several hundred miles if you're... Uh, Did you ever assist a, a pilot, a GA pilot, when you were on? Not a GA pilot, another military pilot who mm -hmm. ejected, uh, right. yeah. So uh, that was a classic case, actually. We had a guy eject um, over the ocean, uh, but not too far from the base. But uh, we had two phantoms uh, orbiting the crash site um, at the low aircraft. It was down there observing uh, the survivors. Couldn't speak directly to um, air traffic at our base. So I was providing a high cap, uh, effectively doing what the U-2 pilot was, uh, relaying instructions and information uh, from the low cap um, aircraft uh, to air traffic control and coordinating the arrival of the rescue helicopters. Cool. Got a couple of good comments in the chat room. Tim Van Ram. When I was camping last week, the group next to us had two U.S. Air Force pilots from Beale Air Force Base. Cool. Yeah. And then Lane, of course. His Lane, of course, he says something very serious here. Kudos to the GA pilot. He is outstanding in his field. Turtle, turtle, turtle. Wait, that's a turtle. That's, that's a, a knee slapper. slapper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll slap him. <laughs> All right. Well, good job. Good um, job. Let's see. Dragon uh, lady. Dragon lady. <laughs> lady pilot. Um, that, uh, never mind. Riley. <laughs> uh, next one. Riley. Helicopter crash in Tasmania. Hello, Captain Jeff, Steph, Rick, Nick. 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 <laughs> this is Nick. my first feedback. Here's a bit of background information. I'm 15, turning 16. He is 15. Going on 16. <laughs> in just under a month. I live down under in Tasmania, Australia. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I've started to get my first pilot's license. I go to a school with aviation theory. We have six flight simulators and two virtual reality sims. Cool. This school term, we are building a stabilator for an aircraft that we're building. Cool. Two days ago, a helicopter crashed here at Launceston. Launceston. Launceston? Yep. Okay. That's correct. I have no idea. Okay. Well done, Liz. The pilot died while fighting the fire. They flew out of my local airport. I had the privilege of meeting the crew, this crew, the day before the crash. Here are some websites for us to look at. Okay. So he gave us some uh, links. And uh, this is from Young Gun, Riley, uh, Tasmania News. This is from TasmaniaNews.com. No, this is 9news.com, uh, .au. A Tasmanian water bombing helicopter pilot had been hailed a hero after crashing to his death fighting a bushfire in the state's north. The 41-year-old northern Tasmanian man had been fighting a blaze that had burned through more than 16 hectares. 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 Hectares thank you. Uh, when he crashed near Piper's Brook, about 440 kilometers north of Launceston, mm -hmm. on Monday afternoon. 
Uh, police confirmed his death at the scene after being called to a field near Piper's Brick Road about 3.20 p.m. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of the firefighting helicopter. Uh, it looks like a Huey. It does. Huey. Huey. Uh, Railton Fire Brigade Chief Ross Crack said the man had been fighting the Labrina fire, which was downgraded to an advice warning on Monday. Railton Fire Brigade would like to offer our condolences to the family, friends, firefighters, and support crew of this hero. He said, who did? <laughs> I'm oh, so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was Fire Brigade Chief Ross Crack. Ross Crack. <laughs> I, I do apologize. <laughs> and I haven't been drinking. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, the, it's a jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I put it down to dementia myself. But oh, that dear. might be part of it as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Dementia for sure. Uh, let's see. Whilst Tasmania Fire Service, together with all firefighters, take the utmost caution when conducting firefighting activities, sometimes God takes heroes from us uh, for unknown reasons to me. Initial investigations suggest that the pilot was in the area undertaking duties related to bushfires in the Labrina area when it crashed in a paddock. Uh, let's see. Hmm? That's, That's pretty much, it. yeah, yeah not really funny. much to add there. It's just sad. Yeah. It was out there fighting a fire and... Well, yeah, Nick's just we, had his firefighting plane tail. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one, right. one of the points we were making was, uh, you know, it's actually a, one of the most dangerous aspects of aviation you can get involved with, uh, and this just reinforces that. Yeah. Uh, Al's got some, and, and I'm being very serious here, he's got some sad news in the chat room here. Uh, sadly, the Ukrainian Minister of Foreign Affairs has confirmed the, oh, the AN-225 has been destroyed. The well, the only fully functional flying AN two twenty five. I guess the other one was like still under construction, mm-hmm. right? It was not completed, but mm-hmm. the really so basically the the world's only one and only Super-sized. Uh, Mira, I think is the uh, name of the thing, the two twenty five Antonov. Um, so <laughs> I have to stop to read. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to be It's easier to just say. Oh, stop that. I thought I was being so clever. Well, it was very clever. It was. I have to stop. I, I can't keep talking while you're Chef can't multitask. He can't talk and read at the same time. I'm usually, but when it's when it's rolling like that, it just takes more brain power. I'll me. just say it. Okay. I got the message. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's sad that the 225 was destroyed in uh, Ukraine. A lot of bad things happening over there. Uh, let's see. This is from Grinner. Um, hi, APGers. It's Grinner here from Yorkshire in the UK. Uh, would you like to read this one? Yeah, Nick? sure. Happy happy to. Okay. Um, Yorkshire in the UK. I haven't had a chance to send in any feedback in quite a while. And uh, I'm currently playing catch up with the APG episodes, not having had the chance to join in with the live chat room during the last few weeks. Well, I don't know why we're bothering to read this, but oh, yeah. no let's move on to the next one. In APG whatsoever. <laughs> uh, having had my youngest daughter's 13th birthday celebrations, so preventing me from joining Captain Nick and the UK team down at the Fast Museum. He's just full of excuses. I know. Yeah. What a. Lame excuse. Absolutely. Daughter's 13th birthday. Uh, Farnborough for the APG 500. My work <laughs> schedule and other events have, have just got in the way. I'm almost caught up and I've just started listening to APG 508 whilst I was walking the dog today. 
I would like to say how pleased I was to see Nick and his short crew log on Patreon and that he's recovering well. That's very kind of you, indeed. I take back everything I just said. <laughs> I wanted to provide some feedback for you in response to the discussion around about the Air Arabia A320 that took off in the wrong direction, Sharjah, UAE, and more specifically about MPL, multi-pilot licensed cadets, because we were kind of casting dispersions perhaps on uh, the way that system works, but from a point of view that we didn't know a lot about it. So hopefully right. he will reveal everything. Uh, first, and before I mention MPL cadets, I'd like to highlight what I think is a potential distraction to the report and a technical inaccuracy around the FMAs, flight mode enunciators, during the takeoff of the A320. Um, yeah, this was probably me. Uh, and I did say at the time, I'm starting to lose uh, my uh, re recollection, clear recollection of what occurs in the aircraft. So I'm going to spend less time talking about technical aspects. It's been about a week since I've been in the cockpit, <laughs> yeah. and I can't tell you exactly what the PFD is. There you go. <laughs> From left to right on the PFD, you have five columns. Uh, auto thrust mode, vertical mode, lateral mode, auto land status, flight director, and auto thrust status. Uh, during the takeoff roll, you always have either man flex, if it's a flex uh, takeoff and you've entered appropriate temperature, or man toga, in the first column, which is when you go full power, uh, and SRS in the vertical mode column because the aircraft, um, this is me speaking now, uh, flight director will give you a uh, pitch attitude of takeoff to follow. Um, so, it, you know, you can start using that flight director uh, as soon as you're airborne. Uh, the lateral column will indicate runway only if you're departing on a runway with an ILS that is irradiating. Well, I, I only ever worked from really major international airports. I don't think I ever took off from a runway that didn't have a working ILS, but there you go. Um, if it's a non-ILS runway or the ILS is off, uh, that lateral FMA will just be blank, just like my brain, uh, as in the incident flight. Uh, this is a normal indication and not to be a warning to the crew that something is amiss, uh, as the report seems to imply. Oh, he's blaming the report. That's good. Uh, it wasn't me, perhaps. Uh, that's uh, the dog making a comment on uh, our thing. He's upset with the report. Exactly right. Uh, do you want me to go stop that? No, we're okay. good. That's good. Ambience. Once airborne, the lateral mode smoothly transitions into nav mode. It does indeed. And if the route is in the uh, FMGS, the old nav computer, or runway track, if there's no line to follow. So I don't think I've ever got airborne without a route in there. But yes, it does just go to a, a track, not a magnetic heading, a, a track on the runway heading uh, after takeoff. Uh, on to uh, MPL cadets, and I felt I had to give you some feedback because the employment of such low-hour pilots is really a struggle for many, especially for yourselves in the States, well, for you guys in the States. Cowboys! Yeah, the Cowboys uh, over there, in comparison to the rules that the FAA poses on flight hours. I can understand the concerns you have, and I must admit, when I first heard about the concept of MPL, and having pilots arriving and flying big, big bits of metal around with so few hours, I too was one of those who was not a great supporter. After all, you 
cannot beat experience to get you out of a pickle. But I feel you need to have a balanced and knowledgeable view and hope that I can provide you with that. The company I work for in the UK is one of the world's largest operators of the A320 family of aircraft, and I'm part of their training machine, where I operate as a line training captain, check airman to you all in the States. So I do get an awful lot of flying with these cadets as they come through the system. In order to make a sensible comparison, we need to look at how commercial pilot training is organized, whether it's modular or integrated. The first path is to undergo training on a single engine aircraft and take you to private pilot qualification. Then the progression moves on to multi-engine and finally the instrument qualification. Of course, tied in with all of this is the theoretical learning and the exams. Up to this point, the complete emphasis is on operating the pilot as a single pilot. Operating on operating the pilot as a single Have I just read that right? Yeah, okay. Uh, in, so I guess he's saying that is the emphasis is on operating as a single pilot. Uh, in the UK and Europe, and only at this stage, does operating as a multi-crew enter the training with such courses as the multi-crew cooperation course and the jet orientation courses. So you end up with more flying hours, but minimal time and experience operating as a multi-crew. The MPL course, which our cadets embark on, is specific to our company. They learn to operate as multi-crew from day one, even when flying single-engine stuff. And they have SOPs that are devised around our company procedures and used on the A320. They do fly some solo stuff, so yes, they do a first solo, just like everyone else. But please remember, anyone embarking on an MPL course is doing so as an Embraer pilot for our company and not to take granny for a Sunday flight. <laughs> they fly single engine, multi-engine and complete their instrument qualification to the same standard required of an integrated student. And of course they have to pass all the same exams, but most importantly, they're doing this operating as part of a crew, uh, completing the elements of multi-crew uh, course uh, and uh, completing real-time simulator flying, uh, not some FNPT2 device. I guess he's referring to a very basic uh, um, base sim or something. Yeah, base trailer. Um, but in the case of Arcadets, 150 hours in the same A320 simulators that we train on, which are state-of-the-art simulators. This is before they complete the type rating. So by the time they've completed their type rating and sit with me on day one of their line training, they're completely familiar with their environment, the standard operating procedures, and operating as part of a multi-crew. So I guess the question you're all wanting to answer is, are they any good? And the simple answer is, yes, they are. Comparing them with their integrated ATPL course colleagues, there's very little in it. What does stand out, though, is how well they fit into the multi-crew operation. But, of course, that is what they've been trained to do throughout their course. Aircraft handling-wise, there's really very little difference. Of course, when training these individuals, you do have to consider the environment, their skill level and workload, and most importantly, your own workload and ability to monitor the trainee, especially during the early sectors flown on the line, and you introduce the training events when it is appropriate. 
Our company practices one-engine taxi departures, but there is a time and a place. The Air Arabia incident is a classic case of an experienced trainer getting caught out trying to do too much. Do you want to quickly recap on that? I think that was the incident where they uh, were instructed to proceed to a runway at a runway intersection. And instead of turning, I don't remember the exact compass direction, but I I seem to recall it was a a westerly or northwesterly uh, direction, like a, a left turn in this case. I think they turned right or it may have been from the other side of the runway. So a different direction of turns, but they ended up turning the wrong direction and proceeded to take off uh, or initiate a takeoff roll in the wrong direction, which with much less runway than they were expecting to have. I mean, it was a little over 3,000 feet, I think. And instead of aborting the takeoff, the uh, training captain continued the takeoff and uh, they, they just barely cleared the end of the runway yeah that's right sort of i think that's he what... went toga and just persisted yeah. but they ended up getting airborne in the wrong direction that's right uh this doesn't get away from the fact that we're still talking lots of low hour cadets straight into a medium jet cockpit but in europe we don't have the luxury of lots of regional airlines flying around in little turbo props providing lots of hands-on experience or big, big militaries with reasonable numbers of pilots leaving each year. Certainly, there is, uh, sorry, certainly what there is out there cannot satisfy the demand of the airlines. So I hope that paints a better picture of MPL cadets and answers a few questions along the way. Uh, all the very best and blue skies to everyone. It's great to hear from someone who actually has real time experience with flying with these MPL cadets. Yeah, that's a very balanced uh, assessment, I would say. Thanks, Grinner. Yeah. Thank you very much, Grinner. That's that's great. Um, Yeah. So maybe we were too hard on the whole concept of MPL and maybe we're just in this reality where we have to do this because otherwise (laughs) these airplanes can't fly with passengers and I'm taking them to all kinds of neat places. I I think from our background, uh, we would have a natural tendency to go, well, you know, we flew uh, hundreds of hours of very demanding training to get to where we were. How on earth can someone do the same job with uh, a mere 200 hours? But the answer is uh, with the right type of training, uh, I think uh, it it can possibly be made to work well. Well, uh, the future will will come out, I guess. Uh, They'll I don't know if the jury is still out. Perhaps not. Yeah. And I love our aviation community that we have people listening to the show who have real, you know, real world experience with us and uh, can educate all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Learning every day. But I have to say before we move on, uh, he's wrong. Of course. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You need to put your hat on, your cowboy hat on. Is that that massive grain of salt over there you're taking? Yeah, the big grain of salt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, this, uh, this, this is, is a great. fun one. Oh, thank this. you. First of all, we had Tasmania checked in with Riley. Now we have someone from somewhere else is checking in. Yes. Uh, this is from Singapore. Rich, I wonder where he's from. Uh, he's called Rich by the sound from of From Australia, but he's, <laughs> he's, flies he's been flying the APG flag. Speaking of that, <laughs> coincidentally, you were showing a, a little video of the uh, APG on your phone. flag oh, on your well, phone earlier today. Yes. Oh. Um, so actually, Singapore Rich doesn't really have the real 
uh, APG flag. There's the APG can... flag. There. And Look it at even, that. Uh, it's around if I press it. Or perhaps it doesn't. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't. Of course, it doesn't want to do it when we're yeah. when we want it right. to. Anyway, yes, we we proudly raised the APG flag uh, at Oshkosh 2019 on the Holiday Rambler 42, 43 foot long Class A diesel pusher. It was a great way to find home after a few beers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Just stagger around Practical. until you see the blue APG flag. Yes. Uh, so here we go. Hi, Jeff. Just a little spill and update for you all of my hoodie I received as a present for Christmas. Also, please pass on my best wishes to Captain Nick. Thanks. Okay. Oh, first time. Singapore Rich wants me to pass on his best well, wishes. Thank Singapore Rich from? Yes, I will. That's very good. Thank you, Singapore long. Rich. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Hello, APG family. Just sharing a few photos of my recent layover in Guangzhou. Guangzhou. Guangzhou and Beijing, China, showboating my APG hoodie in every winter destination. Glad to be wearing it, too, on this chilly 2 Celsius day. And so he wow. sent several pictures here. and uh, It does look good on him, actually. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So he's – what is – this must be those uh, the, uh, the Chinese landscape. landscape. Yep. Snow-covered. Yeah. yeah. And then Oops. here's a picture of him. In warmer climes, it appears, uh, next trip was down to Perth. Oh, yeah, with a hot temperature of 41 degrees Celsius. Whoa, lovely. So here's my APG T-shirt I use for the summer in a beautiful green, a dark green color. The, the hoodie is in a bright blue and uh, looks very, very smart. It's Perth Airport. Yep, Perth Airport. And then uh, here's the Big inside man. of a jet. Uh-huh. With the uh, shirt, uh, a blue, a royal blue uh, APG. Oh, that's the hoodie. Yeah. Yep. Uh, draped over the back of the seat. And uh, you can see both the front and back. What a great looking piece of merch there. Huh? You know what? What if somebody wanted to have one of those you know, for themselves? I think they, they would check on our uh, airlinepilotguy.com. Would they? Yeah. Our website that might have yeah. a, like a page that they yeah. could go to for yeah. merchandise. Yeah, there's a page there. Like airlinepilotguy.com slash merch, I think, maybe? Or maybe anyway, store. Anyway, you didn't finish off reading. Oh, there. I didn't. Well, I, I'm okay. okay. Uh, just spreading the word in the APG community. The syndrome is real, folks. <laughs> Cheers, Singapore Rich. <laughs> <laughs> we got him. Thanks, Rich. Yep. That's another one down. Sucker. Well, Rich and, Rich and I have actually exchanged a few messages because he lives in a hot climate, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he loves snow. Oh. And so I've sent him some pictures of the snowfall that I've had over the winter ah, and stuff. Oh, but yeah. I think he has family in the Czech Republic or somewhere that's quite okay. snowy, so he misses it. So Okay, I'm looking at our site, and uh, let's see, APG store. So it's airlinepilotguy.com slash store, and there you can, there are several different items we have uh, for sale if you want to spread the word, and if you have the syndrome, or if you know somebody who does. Yeah. Now. You know, we should probably, we don't really do much with this, and uh, we basically put it out there for people that just have the syndrome or want to kind of wave or, as he said, um, uh, wave the flag, I yep, think. Uh, yeah, flying the flag. Flying the flag. And, what if you click on that? Okay, what, uh, here, I think it takes us to uh, Red Bubble, and uh, let's see, we have all kinds of, they, Nick uh, did a lot of work here uh, putting our logo on a, a bunch of different, uh, oh, look, become a member. Get 20% off your first order. Mm-hmm. Wow. Look at okay. that. All right. Check that out. You can get clocks uh, and uh, bags, tote yep. bags, 
Other types of t-shirts. Bikini thong underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, David Lee was saying that those nice green t-shirts aren't in the store anymore. They aren't. Which is kind of disappointing. You get phone covers there. Oh, wait a minute. No. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay. That's what he says. Back to... I believe everything. I mean, I'm sure he's right. So I'm going to click this one here. Teespring. Nope. Was that Teespring? Um, Honestly, I should probably pay more attention to this than than I do. Uh, let me, that's the, okay, let's do this one. Yeah, it's the t-shirt, um, APG at uh, teespring.com. It's loading. It's loading. Maybe this is what he's talking about. I think nothing, nothing is happening. Teespring's website has Hello. crashed. Yeah. Um, hmm. I guess we're going to have to kind of see if, uh, what's going on with that. Um, maybe. Laura's saying they sometimes run out of stock, but they do restock a little later, so. Yeah, David said he checked a couple of weeks ago and there was no green. So oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get on that. Hey, if well, you ever find something like that, let let us know because as I said, we're not really closely monitoring this whole thing, and we're not. I we don't do this to make any money. We uh, I try to set the profit margin to the lowest level that they'll let me, so that we can offer these for you know you out there who want to you know wear some of the uh, APG stuff. Anyway, we'll get someone on that. We'll get yeah. Staff. <laughs> All right, they're on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so thanks, Singapore Rich. Always great. To, hey, if you're out there and you have some APG merch that you want to show off and uh, show us where you're traveling around the world, please uh, send in some feedback. Just as I think Singapore Lucas Rich. Diamond a year yes, or so Lucas ago Diamond started did. a sort of a contest. Yes. Where was the most exotic place you're posing oh, right. in your? That was a while ago. Yeah, wasn't it? and we didn't get a lot of response but that was a great one rich yeah. there that's because none of our listeners are in exotic no. locations oh could be well you're in an exotic location there you got it yeah i'm in this exotic conservatory uh-huh. Uh-huh. all right um oh we should probably get the uh big jet big jet tv uh beer that uh was given to us from um um carlos um at our Anyway, never mind. Um, <laughs> just thought of it. Uh, let's see. Becky sent us some feedback. Thought mm-hmm. of you guys. This is from marketwatch.com. And as uh, Becky Roush, move over, Netflix. Move over everything. Hundreds of thousands of people are watching planes land at Heathrow amid extraordinarily high winds. See, see how I fixed that? It's mm-hmm. an extraordinary high winds. Extraordinarily yeah, very good. high winds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Market Watch. And uh, plane spotted. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. That was okay. bad. I should have done I'm that. Sorry. I'm, I'm having a little right I'm now. So sorry. I'm so sorry. But you know what that means? Ten minutes to plane tail. Thank you. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I meant I to turn that off. Um, plane spotter Jerry Dyer is the hero of Heathrow on Friday. Uh, that was nuts, man. Oh, Bosh, get it down, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How can he be the hero when the heroes are actually in the aircraft landing them? No, that's all automatic. No, oh, it must be, yes. Yeah. Okay. Plane spotter Jerry Dyer from Big Jet TV became a minor celebrity on Friday as he live-streamed jets trying to land at London's Heathrow Airport for his YouTube channel. Uh, that was the uh, the big storm Eunice here. The southern half of England was under rare red warnings for danger and flooding among amid wind gusts of up to 80 miles an hour. Okay, here it is. Storm Eunice, which had already wreaked havoc in Scotland, barreled in. Continental Europe has experienced similar storm events with flooding in parts of Germany. And uh, I don't. Oh yeah, you're yeah. showing that. A uh, little. Uh, there's that. That must be uh, Jerry. There's Jerry. 
uh, and must have been very windy. It looks like, or either that, or he's gone snorkeling. Um, doesn't that look like a diving mask he's wearing? He does, yeah, just he needs protection from the <laughs> yes. weather. Yes, and for from uh, yeah. See, Nick and I uh, differ in our. I think he's very entertaining. I, I know he can be annoying too, but I know Nick's very annoyed by his commentary. But I like him. I think <laughs> he's so enthusiastic. He's like a big kid, and he just makes all these funny remarks. And I like him anyway. Well, I think I, that, I, I have to turn the sound down. I love I, I love the fact that he does it. Yeah. I, I, it's great being able to watch uh, uh, you know these guys bringing their aircraft in in foul conditions, and the fact that he's willing to be out there, yeah. you know, in all weathers with his camera gear and his specially adapted van, uh, providing this um, amazing uh, TV channel for us is great. I just can't listen to him. I well, just have Jen to turn Niffer, the uh, was talking about him, and she said the only issue she has with him is that she didn't think of it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So but Jen friends. actually knows a bit about aeroplanes. <laughs> and Airster. Um, yes, and I think that the reason why that, uh, the reason that Liz isn't quite as annoyed is that yeah, she, she's been around annoying people like you. That's true. For <laughs> yeah. so long. I've been vaccinated. She's a, yeah. <laughs> she's immune to the, <laughs> immune to the uh, yeah. annoying people. Um, anyway, the, the article continues. Dyer's cheery, colorful comments often interspersed with singing didn't. Oh, who would do that? I, who would sing? That's, yeah, yeah that's chance. low. But you can sing. Oh, uh, Nick. <laughs> Nick. Nick doesn't like this guy. <laughs> I do. Uh, okay. I don't like his, <laughs> his, his commentary. <laughs> uh, didn't take I'm away singing. from the tension of seeing a cutter airlines make two attempts to land him in the fierce crosswinds. He also juggled interviews from news channels that were ferrying crews out to his location in the field outside the airport as onlookers were lining the fence. Wow, 185,000 people watching. Are you sure? He yells out at one point, offer uh, over at times deafening gusts, pointing out that the norm is about 6,000 people watching. That number crossed 200,000 on Friday. We're a live aviation channel. We're all over YouTube, but this is obviously the best sort of scenario, the most exciting stuff you can possibly get, Dyer said in one interview overheard on a stream. He said storms have featured in the stream before, but nothing like this one. Yeah, he said, this is a lot of fun, but this is all about pilots, he told Channel 4 in a live interview. The most amazing thing he's seen on Friday, when they nearly touch down and then they go around, that's when it really gets hairy. Um, so um, the article goes on to kind of mm -hmm. describe this whole thing. But I think it's great that he's getting this kind of exposure. Um, and I think somebody said at the PTUK event, we were talking about this, and they said that some of his videos have gained like more than a million million and a half views this is a really great way to get uh, some some stature in the in the youtube world and uh, that's we're excited for him that he's uh, getting all the uh, all the eyeballs on his uh, website and his uh, youtube channel oh absolutely i mean, he thoroughly deserves it yeah mm -hmm. as you guys said he's, he's he is worked. out there in being battered yeah. by absolutely. the winds yeah. and he's worked extremely hard to get his channel recognized yep. uh, and build his audience up, and I, I think he's got a lady friend. I don't know if uh, if they're a, a couple. Her or name's not. Jilly. Oh, there you go. Who uh, is also out there assisting and providing information, feeding him with, you know, what aircrafts are next on the approach, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where Jilly they're was. A good dream right. team. <laughs> Has Jilly been gone lately? Mm, yeah, <laughs> not that I've noticed. Oh, okay. But then again, I'm been here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Becky. Um, Just before we move yeah. on, I think this is worth uh, Tim Van Ram said, any uh, uh, APG Hawaiian shirt would be desirable. But then I haul boxes as usual, says. 
Hawaiian shirt with handwritten ironing instructions by Rick. Oh, yeah. Available in merch. <laughs> but I don't know. How you, how do you put a, 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 You'd have a, to have a logo a little, on a Hawaiian shirt? I mean, it would be very visible. Yeah, you wouldn't be able that to. That would be but the... I do like the iron trees. Tree. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Well, we'll look into it. Well, well Nick the... could hide it. In... Stop! Yeah. <laughs> but I like the ironing instructions from Nick. From yeah, that would be a bonus. That would be a, so, an a NFT, maybe. We've got like five minutes till plain tail time. Just do we? Quiet. Oh, we've, well, this this is from my hallbox. It's long, the next one. Okay. This is quite complex. So maybe when we just okay. go plain tail. Uh, oh, so I haul boxes? Yeah. Well, just go ahead and delete it. <laughs> um, just kidding. Um, I don't think we'll just get through. Yeah, this is good before. Okay, let's do 13 uh, from Larry. Excuse me. Mm, The Goose Island IPA. How did that sound? Not very good, actually. Very goosey. Very goosey. Yeah, true. Uh, Larry sent us in a cartoon, uh, as he likes to do. A new Acme product I'd like to see. And here it is, of course, our um, favorite uh, cartoonist, Gary Larson. drew this one he says uh there are some people in an airplane looking out the window at the wing and on the wing uh kind of toward the wing tip is some kind of a hook hook or hook yeah, an eye kind of thing dot, you know some kind of a device the at the end of which is uh is that a, like a it's suction a cup or something yeah, like yeah. that at the end of that with a kid attached, attached. a young a young booger um and uh Let's see. It says uh, the the person inside the aircraft saying to his son, "See that little kid out there, Ricky? He wouldn't stop crying either." So, and, well, and then the caption underneath is the caption by simply attaching the new Acme Wing Baby, airlines can significantly improve their passengers' overall comfort. Yeah, perfect. I like that Wing Baby. First of the Wing it Baby. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the adverts you used to see in the fifties of. Um, for American wives in their tall apartments where they would have a cot that they could actually hook on the window ledge outside the building mm. or, oh, uh, for their babies to go in. <laughs> what? I don't Seriously? think I've ever seen that. You haven't? No. Oh, Are they not worried crazy. about the thing no. like... Well, it was it was like a cage. It had a top on it. Mm-hmm. So, but it was how many babies were lost using that device? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't care about that. Okay, oh, I don't know. Eh, expendable. Okay, before we move on, yeah, Tim Van Ram is saying it's quite simple to design the Hawaiian shirt with just rather than one big Acme logo. It would be all little logos in the in the pot, like instead of oh palm yeah, trees, quite we- simple. Tell you what, Tim, get get on it. And well, uh, isn't he out there near Jim Mercado? They could work. Oh, that's true. Together. Yeah, they are in the in the Bay Area yeah. of uh, California. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, you and uh, Jim can come up with something. Yeah, that sounds like a, one of those uh, things where you have to get an all over print, and they're they're not cheap. But uh, they'd be worth it. Though. But I'm confident that Tim can do it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Tim. In advance. It's that time. I think. Is it okay? Yeah. It's time now for this week's installment of the best part of the show, of course, which is the old pilot's plain tale. And you want, do you want to say anything to set this yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we uh, recently had the passing of uh, Gail, the uh, candy bomber. Uh, and this was a story I did uh, mainly about the Berlin airlift. Um, and uh, But it, of course, includes reference to Gail and the amazing works uh, he did. Uh, as the candy bomber and uh, we're very sad 
that he passed at the ripe old age. I think he just cracked 100. Yeah, 101. 101. So a remarkable man who just filled his life with uh, good deeds and uh, a a very gratifying story it is. Nice to hear it again. Yeah. Yes. So here we go. This week's uh, plain tale. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. Dorosi and Bomba. The Second World War is over, and the victorious Allied powers have reached the Potsdam Agreement on the fate of post-war Europe. The defeated nation of Germany has been divided into four temporary occupation zones, largely decided by the final positions of the Allied armies, as has the capital city of Berlin, which is split into four sectors. Berlin, however, lies well within the Soviet occupation zone, and travel to and from the sectors back to the zones controlled by the United States, Great Britain and France isn't easy. In a meeting held in June 1945, Stalin informs his German communist leaders that he will attempt to undermine the occupation of Berlin by Britain and the States so that they would be forced to withdraw from the city, leaving it entirely under Soviet control. Stalin's intent is strengthened by the lack of formal agreement guaranteeing road and rail access to the city, something that had been assumed by the Allies. Air travel routes had, however, been agreed and three corridors existed. Two ran from Hamburg and Buchberg in the British zone and one from Frankfurt in the American zone. In line with Stalin's attempts to force the Allies to leave Berlin, in 1946 the Soviets stopped delivering food from their zone to West Berlin, and only a single rail line was permitted to serve Berlin from the Allied zones, limited to just ten trains a day. Even these were given many restrictions, with the Soviets delaying and searching them. Road links were also equally badly disrupted. Even the guaranteed air routes were affected, with transports being buzzed by Soviet aircraft until eventually a British Viking collided with a Yak-3 fighter, killing everyone on board both aircraft. Finally, in 1948, in retaliation to the introduction of a new German currency in the western zones, the Soviets blockaded the land transport links to the city. The official communication said, We are warning both you and the population of Berlin that we shall apply economic and administrative sanctions that will lead to the circulation in Berlin exclusively of the currency of the Soviet occupation zone. Nobody was fooled as to the ultimate aim of the Eastern forces. In addition to cutting the road, rail and canal links, the electricity connections were also severed, since the generation plants were in the Soviet sector. Winter was coming, and the two million citizens of West Berlin who had survived the war now had only 36 days of food and 45 days of coal remaining. Although the Soviets offered free food to anyone who crossed into East Berlin, their offer was overwhelmingly rejected by the people of the city. 
The city was surrounded by one and a half million Soviet troops. So the 22,500 Western troops couldn't be expected to resist an attack. The Soviet military administration celebrated what was sure to be a foregone conclusion, the handing over of West Berlin. Many options were considered by the Allies, from a ground invasion to the threat of nuclear war, but the unlikely plan to feed the city of Berlin from the air won the day. Famously, the commander of the USAF in Europe was asked if he could haul coal. We, Lemay answered, can haul anything. It was calculated that 1,500 tonnes of cargo would need to be shifted daily to supply the city's food needs, a mixture of milk, sugar, potatoes, meat, fat, cereal and the like. An additional 3,500 tonnes of coal and fuel would be needed for heat and power. Initially, it was thought that the USAF, using C-47 Skytrains and Douglas DC-3s, could move about 300 tonnes a day, and the RAF, with its DC-3s and Avro Yorks, about 400 tonnes. Not nearly enough. The people of West Berlin were told that they would have to make sacrifices, but Mayor Reuter and his aide, Herr Willy Brandt, assured everyone that they would manage. The lift started off shakily, and only around 90 tonnes a day was moved in the first week. The second week saw a 1,000 tonnes a day, but the East Germans ridiculed the effort, referring to it as a futile gesture to save face and maintain an untenable position in West Berlin. It was soon recognised that better organisation was needed. Up stepped Major General William Tunner. Tunner had worked in the military air transport service and he bought some well-needed organisation. He flew to Berlin to see the lay of the land on a day when the weather was poor. A C-47 crashed and burned on the runway at Tempelhof. The aircraft behind burst its tyres trying to avoid the wreckage and a further transport ground-looped, mistakenly landing on a runway under construction. Aircraft were stacked high overhead the field and it was obvious that the tower had lost control of the situation. As a result, Tanner instituted a number of rules. Instrument flight rules would be in effect at all times and there would be a single control point for all aircraft. Aircraft would be timed to arrive only three minutes apart and would only have one chance of making an approach. There would be no second goes or stacking. Aircraft with sloping decks like the C-47 would be replaced with the tricycle-geared C-54s as it was much quicker to unload the cargo. The pilots were banned from leaving their aircraft for any reason. Mobile snack bars came round and the operations officers handed out departure clearances as the pilots ate. In this way, a 10-ton load could be taken off and the aircraft turned around in 30 minutes. The Berliners were also helping. Paid in the form of rations, the local people were willing workers who at one point set a record of unloading 10 tonnes of coal in 5 minutes and 45 seconds. After two months of operations, the airlift was providing 1,500 flights a day delivering more than 4,500 tonnes of cargo. 
However, as winter approached, the needs of the city rose, with an additional 6,000 tonnes of coal needed a day. The British added their larger Handley Page Hastings to the fleets of aircraft, and with Tempelhof and Gatow at full capacity, the RAF began operating Sunderland flying boats into Lake Teagle. Gail Halvorsen was one of the American pilots who took part in the airlift. As he watched his cargo being unloaded, he could see the gratitude in the eyes of the German ground crew. Their leader came to the cockpit with tears on his cheeks and his hand thrust out in thanks. The people were hungry for food and freedom. Gratitude is the magic potion, Halvorsen said, that makes enemies into friends. Unloading near the aircraft fence, he wandered over to a group of children who were gathered there. Breaking up some chewing gum, he handed it around and promised that, if they were well behaved, he would drop off some more. How will we know you? the children asked. I'll wiggle my wings, he replied. That night, Halvorsen, his copan and engineer, pulled their candy rations and tied up little parachutes made from handkerchiefs. On the next day, he dropped off the chocolate bars to the kids at the end of the runway, and the day after that, some more. Before long, there was a pile of mail at the base ops addressed to Uncle Wiggly Wings. When the story finally came out, his commanding officer was less than impressed, but when General Tanner heard of it, he saw an opportunity to improve the morale of the hard-pressed Berliners with a lifting story of generosity. So started Operation Little Vittles. Other pilots participated, and when the news reached the US, children all over the country sent in their own candy to help out. Soon the major manufacturers joined in, and in the end over 23 tonnes of candy, attached to a quarter of a million little parachutes, were dropped to the children of Berlin. When Halvorsen returned to the States, the operation continued with others taking over the commitment. Gale spent time travelling around America, thanking those who had helped for their generosity. In particular, he remembered one of his biggest supporters, a homebound lady called Dorothy Groger, who enlisted all of her friends and acquaintances to sew handkerchiefs and donate funds. Over the years, he met many Berliners who had received candy from the Rosian Bomber, as they called him. One who was by then 60 years old told how he had caught a Hershey bar. It took him a week to eat it, and he hid it day and night. But the chocolate wasn't the most important thing, he said. The most important thing was that someone in America knew I was in trouble, and someone cared. That meant hope. One could live on thin rations, but not without hope of freedom. Gale went on to have a successful career in the aviation industry and continued to carry out good works throughout his life. He received many humanitarian awards for his efforts, some of which were the Legion of Merit, Chesney Air Force Award, the Distinguished Humanitarian Award from the Institute of German Relations, the Eric Warburg Prize, an induction into the Utah Aviation Hall of Fame, the Grand Cross of the Order of Merit of the Federal Republic of Germany, Germany's highest award, and in 2014 he was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. 
The Berlin Airlift was a remarkable combination of tenacity, good command and a fierce determination to help the beleaguered city. It had some troubled periods, such as when a long-lasting fog covered the city for weeks. All too often, aircraft would make the flight but be unable to land. On one day out of 42 aircraft, only one made it in. The city was down to its last few days of coal when the weather cleared. Over the next month, however, 171,000 tonnes were delivered. Eventually, in April 1949, the Soviet news agency TASS reported that the blockade of the city was to be lifted. By May, the roads and railways were open and an enormous crowd celebrated in West Berlin. The flights continued for a few weeks to build up a surplus, but then they were wound down. The airlift had lasted 15 months in total. The USAF, the RAF and the Royal Australian Air Force, with pilots from America, the UK, Australia, Canada, New Zealand and South Africa, delivered a total of 2,326,406 tonnes of cargo. The distance they flew would almost reach the sun, and at its height a plane landed at Berlin every 30 seconds. However, the operation had its share of tragedy. There were a total of 101 fatalities, with 17 American and 8 British aircraft being lost. The cost was shared between the USA, UK and Germany, and was somewhere between 200 and 500 million dollars at the time. The intangible benefits, though, of easing animosities between Germany and the Allied forces were enormous. Former enemies recognised their common interests, their shared values and mutual respect, which, in some ways, paved the way to the final and successful reunification of Germany. Another great plain tale. Well, know. thank you, Jeff. Yeah, it's a it's the one where we did so. quite early on, oh. so really nice to uh, see it happen again. Yeah, and uh, it's me. <laughs> Sorry, Liz <laughs> we trying to figure out how to get <laughs> the camera. What did I do? <laughs> She's freaking out. No, it's it's me, Liz. It's, I, I forgot it's to turn you, the camera back on. I got. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I, I interrupted and, uh, you were, what you were saying there. <laughs> no, it, it's just great to hear it again. I mean, sad that we uh, brought it on because of Gail's passing, uh, but it's uh, really great to remember his life. And of course, since we decided to put this one on, of course, Russia has again. Uh, committed a, a pretty heinous act uh, of aggression. Uh, and so we're thinking back to earlier ones and thinking, well, you know, I, I hope this one has uh, an equally um, peaceful ending, although I doubt very much it's going to go that way. Yes. Our, our thoughts and prayers are with all the Ukrainian people and the uh, the horrible thing that's happening in that part of the world. Um, but yeah, thank you, Nick, for, uh, giving us, uh, another listen to the, uh, Rosenen bomber. And, uh, if you are interested in learning more about it, we'll have a link in the show notes to how you can go directly to the, uh, the, uh, 
page on our website uh, that goes into a little bit more detail. Next week, another um, installment from the REF logbook. Oh, I love those. (laughs) We do. He he thinks we're making that up, but we really do like them. (laughs) Subtitled The Escapades of Nick Anderson. Oh, there you go. Stay tuned. Really? Yeah. Oh, you're not making that up. Okay, I look forward to that. Okay. Um, number 12. Number 12. And this is from I Hall Boxes. I Hall Boxes, who is with us in our live audience and usually is every uh-huh. week. And uh, let's start. Oh, okay. Here we go. Hello, Miss Liz and crew. Uh, during the recording of APG 509, whilst discussing Larry's feedback about anti missile tech on civilian aircraft, I threw in the term hex code spoofing in the chat and identified it as one of the biggest threats to civil aviation. You indicated not to be able to relate to the term or practice and inquired for more detail. Of course, I couldn't let pass that opportunity to talk more aviation. And then he says, nerdy chuckle. Nerd alert! That's just a warning for anybody (laughs) out there. Uh, I promise you I'll do my best to keep it concise. Okay, the hex code. What is a hex code? Captain Nick was quite right. Ah. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Putting a hex on you. A hex on oh, you. a hex again. Yeah. Uh, it's just short for hexadecimal. It's a coding form used, or coding term used to write large binary numbers in just a few digits. Was it used for? In order to identify every aircraft in the world, every mode S transponder in the world has a unique 24-bit identifying code that can be a interrogated by secondary surveillance radar, SSR, or broadcasted via automatic dependent surveillance broadcast, ADS-B. This code is linked to the aircraft registration via the National Aviation Authority. In In essence, it's a broadcast of the aircraft's registration. That way, an air traffic center controller doesn't have to pull out his, her, its binoculars in order to identify a target. At a benefit, they can be safely locked away in some basement along with their scopes and radio equipment. (laughs) The FAA provides a means of... (laughs) Yeah. The FAA provides a means of looking up aircraft registration information and hex codes via their website. And then there's a link that he's given us here. Different organizations have put together their own databases through which you can reverse look up a hex code, for example, uh, with another another, uh, link... While these 24-bit ID codes are not meant to be constantly changed, they are not hard-coded into the equipment and can be reset in case of, for example, a hardware change to a different airframe. So spoofing. What is spoofing? Spoofing is an act of pretending to be someone or something else in order to gain trust or access to the property of an opponent. You know, like Micah. He's not a real sound engineer, but unlike Steph, she is a real doctor. True. Who does that? One, the military. Military actors have been known to broadcast fake or invalid transponder codes. It can most frequently be observed on flight tracking websites that publish ADSB <laughs> data uh, of aircraft conducting ISR missions. Here's an example of a screenshot. There we go. Of an RQ-4 Global Hawk out of NAS Sigonella. Uh, en route to Ukraine on the 17th of February, 2022. And uh, we'll have these uh, in the chapter images and if you're watching the video. Um, Let's see. And here is an older example of a U.S. Air Force RC-135 
transponder code AE01 Charlie Echo, which departed Kadena Air Base on a mission over the South China Sea and later returned as a Malaysian aircraft. <laughs> wow, that's magic. <laughs> yeah. uh, hex code seven. Is that Malaysian aircraft that disappeared? Oh, it could be. No. Oh, no, oh. don't, don't start this. <laughs> oh, please. From an OPSEC standpoint, ADSB can be a challenge when operating in due regard. Transponder off is non-preferable. The value of spoofing practices is, well, debatable. Some say it can be used to mislead poorly equipped analysts. On the contrary, it often sparks and fuels conspiracy theories. Nerds. That's another, some other people that can do the spoofing. Because they can. As far as, as far back as 2006, examples were made of how private users were able to create multiple virtual targets and broadcast their positions on 978 and 1090 megahertz ADSB frequencies. ADSB is by design an open system allowing everyone to participate and exchange their data for safety purposes. But this great advantage could also be exploited by malicious actors. Here's a link to a video from a 2020, a 2012 experiment where flight simulation software was used to output synthetic ADSB data, which could be picked up by a receiver. I don't know if I actually... I think we're just showing the still, but yeah, there, we're just we'll showing the still. The yeah, we have a link to the video. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> people, people with ill intent can also be people that would do the spoofing. Uh, he says, so far, no major examples. Good boy. Good boy. <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, c kind of. It's just that I, I met a first officer who was flying for Q8 Airways. Mm -hmm. This is quite a few years ago. And uh, he was flying an, uh, a 707 for another country uh, on a flight into Egypt uh, at the beginning of the Six-Day War. And um, as he made his approach... Um, four Israeli phantoms popped out from under his aircraft and bombed the airfield in front of him oh. that he was about to land on. And they had been hiding under his uh, aircraft so that he only showed up as a single radar return and using their uh, civil transponder to conceal their identity. That was a surprise. It was for him because the apparently the air defenses around the airport opened up and they took out one of his engines. <laughs> oh gosh! Wow. So like, okay, runway in sight, runway not in sight. <laughs> Run, I don't see the runway anymore. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> That's no good. Interesting. Uh, so he says uh, to continue with I Hallbox's uh, feedback. So is it a threat? You'll be pleased to hear that most state actors and ATC providers have found ways to differentiate between spoofed and real targets. Uh, ATCOs could check flight plans and historic flight data or review diplomatic clearances and air traffic center computers can compare ADSB with SSR data and use multilateration, uh, multilateration, MLAT, for example. However, not every airspace user has that same capacity. Imagine the multitude of reactions pilots are going to display in a congested terminal's airspace after seeing fake targets appear on an intercepting course on their fish finders. How fast will defense actors react in areas of conflict? And then he has another link for us, safeairspace.net, where situations might already be incredibly tense and a red party instigates a spoofed, maybe even a false flag, offense. 
Let's not be too pessimistic, but let's also be aware that these open architecture systems designed for safety may also be exploited by those in the capacity and with all the wrong motivation. Well, that's gr- I mean, that's great feedback. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah absolutely very, fascinating. Very dense information, but it's great. Well, yep. he's a quite a dense bloke, isn't he? <laughs> well, well, you said it, I didn't. <laughs> I am offended. At- <laughs> that wasn't me that said that. Um, really, just somebody that sounded just like you. <laughs> Do you have an English accent? I don't. No, I don't. No. <laughs> nice, nice job, eyehole boxes. Yeah. yeah, I like that. It's good. Yeah, thanks. Yes, definitely information dense. Okay. we got a great audio coming up here now. We do. This is from Mark. And uh, he said, hi, Liz. Yeah. And APG crew. Right, exactly. The way Please <laughs> find attached some audio feedback. Sorry about the quality. And a few photos from GA flying in Iceland. A couple more emails of photos follow. Best wishes, Mark Anderson, Swansea, UK. And let's play the audio feedback. Here we go. Hello, Captain Jeff and the APG crew. Uh, It's Mark Anderson here, uh, consultant cardiologist at the Acme Aviation Authority and not (laughs) Captain Nick's brother. (laughs) On the subject of Captain Nick, I'm just listening to APG 509 And I'm delighted to hear him uh, well enough to be back on the show uh, restoring the Airbus Boeing equilibrium to its natural state. I'm glad Captain Nick has escaped from the clutches of atrial fibrillation uh, unscathed. I'm very impressed that he uh, he managed to stay uh, conscious and upright with a pulse rate of 220 Uh, It says uh, something for his ex-fighter pilot constitution, I think. Um, I'd also like to say a big thanks to Captain Nick for the amazing Farnborough get-together for APG 500. Uh, It's a huge achievement for all of you to get to 500 episodes, but uh, it was really a very uh, special evening in Farnborough and I really enjoyed it. I've been meaning for a while to send you some feedback and a question on the subject of very short commercial flights. Uh, But I think that might have to wait for another occasion. I was really sorry to hear on uh, APG 509 about the crash of an Icelandic sightseeing uh, 172, uh, Cessna 172. I have some experience uh, flying 172s in Iceland. And I thought I'd just share with you briefly a little bit about the flying environment there. Um, Back uh, five years ago, uh, my uh, Scottish flying mate Eric and I uh, went to Reykjavik for four or five days and hired a Cessna 172. Our original plan was to uh, fly right around the island of Iceland. Um, But not surprisingly, the flying school in Reykjavik Uh, got slightly cold feet at letting two completely unknown pilots from England uh, take one of their 172s away, and I think they wondered if they'd ever get it back. So they restricted us to doing day flights from Reykjavik, but we still had a fantastic time flying out to the uh, exciting commercial airports in uh, Iceland, uh, many of which have uh, challenging approaches and also flying to some of the fantastic strips up in the mountains uh, where you just land on a gravel strip and 
you know, make your own decisions about takeoff distance and uh, getting out again. It's an incredible general aviation environment to fly in. Uh, when we were there, it was very busy with uh, training. The flying school we were at were busy training pilots for Iceland Air. This was obviously back before COVID. And uh, they were slightly bemused by these two weird British pilots who'd come to do adventure flying in Iceland. If you've never been to Iceland, it's a fantastic country with glaciers and amazing geology and waterfalls. And although it's brilliant walking there, to see these uh, these sights from the air is, is really um, a fantastic opportunity. And if there are any GA pilots listening, if you ever get the chance, do go to Iceland and go flying there because it is a fantastic place. It's very friendly. There's almost no controlled airspace once you get outside uh, Reykjavik in the international airport. Uh, there's a common traffic advisory frequency where Icelandic is spoken, but if you're talking in English on the radio, uh, other pilots usually uh, kindly switch over and tell you what they're doing in English. There are amazing runways on mountaintops and volcano rims and things that look like they've come out of a James Bond film. So so do go and give it a try. And I'm I'm so sad to hear about the people who lost their life flying in Iceland, but Hopefully they will get to the bottom of the cause of the accident. The lake uh, where the aircraft crashed is in relatively low terrain uh, in southern Iceland. Uh, but of course with sightseeing flights there's always the temptation to fly low. There's always the risk of cameras being tangled up in the controls. And of course you've got a single pilot with that inherent risk of incapacitation. Anyway, thanks again for a great show. I'm delighted to hear Captain Nick's back and hopefully I'll manage to join you in the chat room on, on episode 210. All the best, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow, great uh, audio feedback, Mark, um, from or the, the, the perspective of flying GA or 172s in Iceland. Yeah, that sounds absolutely brilliant, doesn't it? I, I mean, I've flown over Iceland on my way to places like LA and San Francisco, and uh, it's a fascinating place. Um, looking down from 35,000 feet, but it must be brilliant if you're uh, down there at a, at a thousand feet scooting around. I know it's a it's a photographer's paradise, so you know, I'd love to have the opportunity of getting out there. Uh, and thanks very much indeed uh, for your very kind words, Mark, uh, and um, for your assistance in decoding um, my uh, notes that the doctor gave me when I left hospital. Mark very kindly said, if you have any questions about medical terminology, do let me know. And I probably get straight back with, oh, yeah, what's this and what's that mean and <laughs> why am I on this drug, et cetera, et cetera. So that was very kind of Mark to help us out. You know, we now have our own um, heart specialist yeah. uh, on the APG. So uh, I Consultant. Yeah. Cardiologist. I expect uh, you'll be inundated with <laughs> messages from from everyone. So but, uh, yeah, and if you have any issues with your kidneys, we also uh, know of a really good kidney doctor there, Mazutz. Right. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't know if he's yes. still, is he still with us on the uh, live he was. audience? I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. But yeah, they're, they're going to have at their practice a sign like the official whatever of APG, and yeah. that'll you know that'll attract that'll that'll too. turn oh, people away yes, like left and right. Huge practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, if only we had a psychiatrist, that would be the <laughs> ideal. We really need one of those. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Bad. Hello, oh, there's the. 
psychiatrist. We need you. <laughs> no, that was brilliant. Uh, a feedback, Mark. Thanks very much indeed. And of course, it was great to see you at Farnborough as well uh, and at Ferrix. So brilliant. Thanks yep. very much. All right. Half an hour left, and All we're right. going to finish everything up. All right. Let's do uh, this feedback. Love from this, Ray. From Ray. And oh, I should have gotten that ready while we were listening to uh, Mark. So let me. Uh, stand by, so everybody. Stand by. Yeah, standing by. And I love that. this video. Love it. Okay. Um, I'm going to do that. That'll be ready to go. And uh, so he, this is, as I said, from Ray. Is this our uh, our Kiwi, yep. Ray? No, no Ray no, Williams. Ray. Your Alpharetta. neighbor. Well, I guess. No, he's not a Kiwi. He's a South African. Right. Okay. Um, th this video of Delta Tech Ops came across my YouTube in the last day or so, and I thought some of the APG listeners would find it interesting. Definitely. It's pretty neat. Gives a wide variety of views of the different work areas and types of jobs worked. Uh, it got me wondering how Acme does its maintenance. Have they got an With a hammer. <laughs> how Acme does its maintenance. Have they got an equivalent setup at Blue Ridge International Airport in the North Georgia mountains? Nope. There's not even an airport there. <laughs> where Bert the tractor tech wields his hammer whenever he's not keeping the grass trimmed on the runway with his herd of spark-free lawnmowers. <laughs> I think he's trying to be d demeaning to my to my new residence. New location. Thanks, Ray. I used to say my, the, my neighbor to the north, but now it's my neighbor to the way south. All the best to y'all. Stay safe, uh, Ray Williams in Alpharetta, Georgia. And uh, so here's a little, we'll play, I don't, we're probably not going to play the whole thing, but we'll play some of this. Uh, but it's really, worth really, watching. Definitely sure. worth watching. So um, just a little teaser of this video of um, our sister uh, airline, Delta. Aviation consistently ranks as the safest mode of public transportation, and it retains that status thanks to the dedication of countless people quietly working behind the scenes. In this video, we'll introduce you to some of them as we explore Delta Airlines Tech Ops, one of the world's largest facilities dedicated entirely to the maintenance and repair of aircraft. Hello, Jet Setters. I'm Jeb Brooks from Greenergrass.com. Right I now in Atlanta, sign. Georgia, right here outside it's Delta Airlines Tech Ops. This is their maintenance facility here in Atlanta, and they do incredible things inside. Join me as we check it all out. This okay. facility first opened in 1960 and has expanded through the years to its current size of, get this, 2.7 million square feet. That's the equivalent of 47 football fields. The space is just mind-blowingly big. But it's the people who make it remarkable. In fact, 6,000 of them work here. We'll meet a few along the way, and if you keep watching, I'll even show you how you can join the team if you're interested. Aircraft maintenance is a highly regimented, methodical and carefully planned effort. Maintenance programs, that's essentially the schedule of what gets checked out when, are tailored to specific aircraft types. But let's get into it. Let's start here, in this hangar. But first, what we'll highlight in this video is routine maintenance. Let me know in the comments below if you'd be interested in seeing a separate video about line maintenance. That's when uh, maintenance professionals engage in daily checks of airplanes, routine in-service inspections, and troubleshooting planes that may run into in-service issues. Obviously, the need to make airplanes aerodynamic means getting to components isn't always convenient. 
For example, this 767's jack screw, now that's the part that... Oh, if you want to hear more about the 767 jack screw, you're going to have to check out the show notes and watch it yourself. There's a come on. Or or just ask Jack. Or... Uh, okay, uh, there's. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> All right. Uh, you don't know Jack. <laughs> yeah, you don't know Jack. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I know lots. Uh, Jack Screw. Yeah, uh, possibly. I'd rather not say. All right. Uh, let's continue with. Uh, oh yeah. By the way, thank you uh, very much, Ray, for sending that in. It is a fascinating video, and uh, you all should check it out. Uh, continuing on with feedback from. Paul, and he sent us in some audio feedback. Today, February 18th, we celebrate the day the first cow flew in an airplane, as well as the first day a cow is milked while flying in an airplane on February 18th, 1930. A Guernsey cow named Nellie J., who also was known as Elm Farm Molly, flew from Bismarck, Missouri on a Ford trimotor plane to the International Aviation Exhibition in St. Louis. Nellie J. was chosen because she was a high milk producing cow and because she had a calm nature, the trip was taken to show the ability of the aircraft and to take the scientific data about the cow's behavior. Claude M. Sterling piloted the aircraft while Ellsworth W. Bunce of Wisconsin accompanied the cow and was the first man to milk a cow in flight. During the 72 mile flight, the milk that Nellie J. gave was packaged in paper cartons. It was then parachuted to spectators who were watching the flight. Nellie J. reportedly produced 24 quarts of milk during the flight, and it was even believed that Charles Lindbergh received one of the quarts at the exhibition. Nellie J. became known as the Sky Queen after the flight. And that's all I got. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Paul. So is that why the um, 747 was named the Queen of the Sky? Mm, because it's a big... Big cow? Big cow? Mm. Big flying cow? I was going to say, holy cow, what a great story. <laughs> of course, that would be an Indian cow. Um, it would yeah. be. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And that was on the, I think, the 18th when he sent that in. Yeah. Uh, and that was... We missed that day. Ever. We Darn, we should have celebrated. Yeah. But we didn't. We oh. raise our glasses of milk to Nelly. Yes, here's, here's to, to Nelly. Here's to Nelly. Yeah, yeah. I've got mother's yeah. milk. Yeah. Gobs of milk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Rusty's <laughs> We have some, some background ambiance of dogs drinking milk from <laughs> Nelly J. <laughs> no. uh, let's continue with uh, this from, oh, this is a good one. Uh, well, they're all good, of course, good. but uh, Robert sent this in. Robert, formerly uh, just south of the Big uh, big Chicken, now in Tucker, Georgia, the uh, location of my wedding in 1982. Um, he said, "I came. this came across my feed today, in case you haven't seen it. And so we're going to play the video, of course, which I've queued up and am ready to go with. And all I have to do is uh, just push this button right here and uh, and and we'll be magically listening to it. Trying to ask you a quick question because like, I want to see a show like the Alex. Wait a minute. What is that? I don't know. Uh-oh. Oh, I think I know what happened. How many people here so that's the, were that's born the problem, before we 1976? Had this problem before people would... Okay, so when I actually... <laughs> 
captured this video using a, a, an app. I didn't, I wasn't careful to ensure that the other audio on my machine was. Oh, huh. so I was watching another thing while it was, it was capturing this video. And it captured them both. Well, yes. you're going to have to watch, listen to the show. And, and yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's Sadly. worth it. It's, it's a yeah, great so there, it's a, it's a, um, uh, an airline captain on his last flight, his retirement flight, addressing the passengers. And he, he goes through and talks about when he started flying and uh, some stats uh, regarding his, what, um, 35 years, I think, of of flying or no, more than more that. More than that. Yeah, yeah. He started 40. flying, yeah, 40 years of flying. I think he started in the Air Force Academy uh, initial training and then... Yeah, he uh, and then of course uh, many many years of airline uh, flying, and uh, it was really interesting and very poignant. And I'm I'm sorry I'm not able to share it with you, but uh, we'll have the link to it in the show notes, and you can click on it and watch it yourself. Thank you, Robert, for sending that in. It was a really good retirement speech. Is that it? We're actually we're finished at the end I of know. the show. Good job. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Liz looks a bit upset. She's got I'm just nothing. getting my COVID results. So oh, right. stand oh, by. Let's, oh, look oh. live. We could have some breaking news here. Okay. Did it, did, 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 did. you start with with us for the foreseeable future, or can you go? I don't know yet. I'm not in there. I got to sign in. Breaking news. I think I have a breaking news sounder. Don't don't tell us yet. I'm coming home. Ray, thank the Lord for that. <laughs> it's negative. Ray. They kind of use word yeah. really weird fra- phrasing, no. though. Do they? I had no signs or symptoms when screened, so I guess that means negative. Doesn't say negative, but yeah, okay. Anyway, but yeah, excellent. Sounds good. There you go, Liz. All right. Yes. All right. And uh, let's see, where was I? Uh, we were Sorry. talking about. Oh no, that's perfectly fine. And then uh, ways to contact us. And, of course, the APG community calendar is there as well. So please check it out, airlinepilotguide.com. And uh, we're also on the social meds. And we'll um, let uh, – oh, here, I'll do that. Sorry. Um, so I'm a little discombobulated here. Uh, let's go to the banners and uh, let's talk about – we talked about the, the – uh, uh, the website, and we're also we have a feedback um, email, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com, where you can send us feedback. I'm back in touch again. Do you okay. want me to take over? And uh, if you'd like, okay. Um, we're also on Twitter. Yep, here uh, I come. I'm getting right. there. Yep, there we is, go. Uh, Twitter is at APG Crew. Uh, all of us on uh, one uh, Twitter ID, and we also have our individual Twitter uh, IDs there as well. And on Instagram, APG Crew. I've been meaning to put uh, Captain Nick's cover art on. No, that's what stuff always. Yeah, is. exactly. I, I keep I forgetting have anything to do with inter- no. <laughs> Instagram. No, I, I stick cover art up there. It's about all I, I do on Instagram. Okay, it. that's more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did we mention Facebook? We're, we have a Facebook uh, we page. We can go Just, back there. Uh, uh-huh. uh, it's airlinepilotguy.com/slash. No, it's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Right. Is the quick way to get there. And on YouTube, uh, the channel is, uh, we don't have that. On we there don't there. have that on there. Uh, well, we go to Slack uh, now. YouTube.com slash airline pilot guy. And uh, of course, we are on Slack uh, due to our wonderful um, 
Slack manager, Hillel, and let's see if he is, uh, we've got this piped in from his uh, hotel in Israel. Hey, Hillel, can you do Slack? That's okay. I well, think. it's your hotel room. We don't care. <laughs> Speaking of dripping wet, you should have seen my hotel bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> we was, don't uh, want to know about no, this. Was, no, I don't think I don't it, it, know about uh, There's water all over the floor. It was supposed to be, I think, because there was a drain in the floor. It was one of those. Wet room. Yeah. It was a mess. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, come over here uh, or, or over there. Never mind. Over there in Israel. Hillel, tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thanks a lot, Hillel. We, we do appreciate you taking Great. the time. So- <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't it? Don't bend over. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks again, Hillel, for uh, letting us know all about Slack. And uh, we also want to say thank you to Liz, who is sitting right Ray, next to us here. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Uh, she does so much work in the background and she, foreground. She doesn't even get a pee break. No. Oh, no. Watch out. And that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for. (laughs) It was a little discombobulated, wasn't it? But uh, we had fun. You're having fun with that word, aren't you? Yes, I am. That's your new favorite word. Third time. (laughs) Well, you know what? I think maybe next time uh, when we do the show, I'll be more combobulated. Oh, there you go. And uh, until then, you'll have recombobulated. Recombobulated and combobulation is a is a is a good thing. (laughs) Anyway, with that. Wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. Bye, everybody. Ta-ta from England. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly over